The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by BetDAC. Get 0% commission on all sports for 100 days when you join BetDAC.com. New customers only, terms and conditions apply. And by All About Sunday, the ownership experience where you can own three racehorses for only £18.99 per month. Visit AllAboutSunday.com to get involved today. Now, here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. Uh, thank you very much and welcome to the show. Glad to have your company. Thanks for choosing the podcast and spend your day with us, or at least an hour of your time. Uh, that being said, the racing was all cancelled, so we just got Cork and Ergamine one attends on. And we're back Thursday with Mark Milligan. See you then. It was one of those weekends. Um, welcome back to the show, my TalkSport colleague and former jockey, Paddy Aspel. Good morning, Evan. How are we doing? I'm in good form, Paddy. And from BetDAC, making a second appearance on the show after a glorious debut, Barry Call. Welcome back to the Final Furlong. Delighted to be back, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Especially with all the shout-outs you were getting from various different people about your, your Final Furlong podcast debut. So no pressure with Paddy alongside yeah, us today. Yeah, Paddy will make it a bit easier and a bit easier for the listeners as well. <laughs> oh, don't you be arsing yourself. That was a really good show. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Got some great feedback about it. So well done. Welcome to the family, Barry. Um, right, so all the racing was cancelled. And on that bombshell, we're done. This was pretty frustrating because Paddy and I were working together on TalkSport on Thursday and I had interviewed Sean Quinlan on air and Sean, we were kind of nervous about the Friday. Were we going to get Cheltenham and Doncaster? And Sean Quinlan was not at all concerned about the Friday. Like minor concern, but very concerned about the Saturday. His reason being, once you're treating ground for frost, you've got the frost covers on, then you race on that, and then you try and retreat it again, you're, you've basically got no chance of racing. So from the comfort of a heated studio, Paddy Aspel, where the coffee is flowing and we're nice and toasty warm, were they wrong to race on the Friday with a view to protecting the Saturday, or were they just screwed this weekend no matter what they did? Well, I suppose with the end result that they got, um, it, that was always going to be going to be thrown at them, wasn't it? That accusation. But look, I think things just heightened, didn't they? The weather just got a little bit more drastic, and you know, we physically seen how quickly they acted as soon as racing was done. You know, as as regards to get the the track covered again, and I mean, I'd imagine the hours and actual physical labour that was involved to do it because it's not something that I've ever actually tackled as regards covering and uncovering tracks, but certainly doesn't look very easy to work. It's seen the, there was a clip up on TV, I think it was yesterday, of the guys working the track at Suttle or, or working to lift the covers. I mean, it's just, honestly, the, the work that's involved, the, 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 the manpower that's needed. And I know Cheltenham, obviously, they, they did bring in extra help but it just shows that the way global warming is going that we need to up our game as regards what they're putting down on these tracks to keep the frost out because when you do cover these tracks yeah you're it's serving a purpose but it really is no good for the actual ground itself uh, because ground sweats underneath and if the cold is getting in anywhere then it's it's counterproductive because the the moisture it's creating underneath there, then that will freeze. It's honestly, it's, it's the Kirk of the courses work is, it it really wouldn't be for me uh, because you're going to get it from every angle, no matter what, even the other day when we were working um, at Newcastle, how many, we had eight non-runners in the first race. Mm -hmm. 
because you know obviously trainers that are are involved early doors in the early races by the time they're getting there the, the whatever frost is in the ground is still on the way out there's a very very fine line as to when the ground is actually going to be raceable it's probably only going to be raceable for about an hour because then you're into the time of the of the of the day where the, it, it's actually starting to refreeze again um it's it's it really is n- not an easy task and we've seen it back again even on on the all weather as regards they got caught out the other day it's it's a very very difficult job and i think i think court yesterday was the only meeting and Sugo is the only meeting where i've not seen a host of non-runners or any criticism coming where trainers weren't happy with conditions. Cork especially. Cork, look, I mean, that, that was a tremendous effort to get the, not just to get the meeting on, but actually get the, the track what what looked to be in real, real good fit and proper order. Yeah, it was tremendous stuff from Cork and they really turned that around because it's not that long ago that Cork was basically the Irish version of Haydock. And while Haydock is a great course, you've often needed a nuclear sub to get around there, uh, such as the bog it's become. And that would happen at Cork. Cork would flood. Cork was underwater not that long ago. Uh, Cork County had a massive flooding issue, uh, and that entire race course was totally washed out. So they have turned a corner massively. And I know that there was a suggestion from Ruby Walsh on RT Racing yesterday that should they have moved the John Durkin card to Cork, but it appears as though HRI want to protect all those novice races. We, you had um, novice chase races and novice hurdles. They want to protect all of those and bring them back in like a super-duper card because they'll combine the Saturday uh, and um, and Sunday's racing in, into one, from what I understand. Uh, and we were going to have some very notable names jumping a fence for the first time. Appreciate it was going to be out. Flamebearer was going to be out. And presumably that's with a view to getting them ready for the racing post-novice chase on St. Stephen's Day. Well, that's now in jeopardy for them because you, you're you going from a three-week gap to a two-week gap by the time those races come around. But Cork did brilliantly and we're going to be able to talk about Anergamine at Tenzon in a little bit. But before we do, uh, there were also some developments on the race course. For one, Henry de Bromhead trained winners. My goodness! Uh, and one horse in particular I think is going to be very much worth following. And then more came out from the de Bromhead yard. Uh, we were still waiting for an explanation about a Plutard. Turns out he was ill. And Honeysuckle well, on Thursday's show, we were talking about how, well, she won't go for the mayor's hurdle. It's champion hurdle or bust. Suddenly, the mayor's hurdle is very much in the equation for her, uh, with Henry Bromhead saying, it's my job to train her to win races, so I've got to find races she can win. Um, Barry, what's the, the reaction in terms of the markets? Because it seems as though there was an almighty gamble on her, or at least odds compilers with the sports books were just going oh crap uh, cut that eights and let's go 9 to 4 um she she's gone very short for the mare's hurdle and what do you what's your reaction to the idea that she may very well go for a race she won 3 years ago yeah there's a bit of panic all right 2 to 1 now she is with us to win the mare's hurdle again i think that's a ridiculous price i think it's just um a knee jerk reaction i think if you sat down Kenny Alexander now and Henry de Bromhead now when you just had a private conversation with the two of them I still don't think they know exactly what way they're going to go at the moment. I think she will run, obviously she'll run at Christmas. And depending on that, depending on how she goes there, I think they will they will make their mind up from there. But listening to Henry de Bromhead in his interviews, I think he was he was relatively pleased with the run. Remember, the champion hurdle is two miles. Patton's Grace was two mile four. She did look to have the race in the bag heading to the second last, really. So 
first run of the season, stepping up to a trip is probably not ideal. I still think it's it's an overreaction. She's eight to one to win the champion hurdle. I know Constitution Hill was very very good, um, in the fighting fifth at Newcastle, but. Yeah, listening to, to Henry de Bronhead's interview and reading between the lines, I still think um he thinks that that uh, all is fine with her and and all could be back to she could be back to, to where she was this time last year, maybe. Um yeah, I still think eight to one for the champion hurdle is the best. Um and the mayor's hurdle, it's sort of it's a bit of a cop out, really, isn't it? But I know I understand as a, from an owner's point of view, if you're Kenny Alexander, you want to go to Cheltenham, you want to win a race, you don't want to finish fourth in the champion hurdle and say that was great when when you could have won a mayor's hurdle, but um yeah, I still don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. I think we'll have to wait to see what happens at Christmas and then and then really take it from there. Like People are starting to say this is a bit of a cop-out now going for the Mayor's Hurdle, but wasn't Quivega was christened the Queen of Shetland and she just ran a Mayor's Hurdle after Mayor's Hurdle after Mayor's Hurdle. And now, because Honeysuckle's doing it, it's seen as a bit of a cop-out. But um, look, if I was to have a bet 2-1 to one for the Mayor's or 8 for the Champions, I'd still probably go for the Champion Hurdle. It's a little bit like what Darren said on Thursday's show with Honeysuckle when, when we began, and thankfully we did begin, but talking about what would you do? How would you solve a problem like Honeysuckle? <laughs> because Saturday's racing then all gets wiped away. Um, so we had a, an interesting conversation with that, but but his he prefaced it with, there's no wrong answer here. If you're in Darren's camp, which is retire her to protect her legacy, it's a view. It's not necessarily what he's saying should be done. He's just saying that's what he would do. Um, and I get it. My view and Mark Milligan's view was you keep racing and that actually her defeat was probably as good as what she has done in that race before in Hatton's Grace. Um, yeah, her, her defeat wasn't a bad run, Emmett. Her no. defeat was, was running against two probable three-mile horses, really, that only got to her heading to the last and at the back of the last. Mm. You know, so so she, she like, arguably she's best over two miles, so obviously she is, but she's won champion hurdles. And these two horses, Classical Dream and Tupo are, are, are obviously better over, over three miles. So two mile four, first run of the season for the Montaki enough ground, it was obviously going to suit them a bit better. So look, there was a, there was some decent enough horses in that Hatton's race back in fourth and fifth place, and they were 30, 40 lengths behind Honeysuckle. Yeah. So I still don't think it's that bad of a run. No, I completely agree with you. Um, and, and there can be an overreaction to it. And I, I think Mark was able to back me up with the time form. They, they were saying she's only three pounds below what she did last year. So, given the fact that she's a year older, um, she is. There is a fair point to be made. She's the same age Apple's Jade was when Apple's Jade started to go. No, nah, I'm, I'm not interested in this anymore. When in the space of a season, she went from winning an Irish Champion hurdle in a hack canter to just not finishing races. But there's yeah. nothing to suggest that that's what's happened with Honeysuckle. It's just that comes with racing. That's that's a warning. Uh, and and you can pigeonhole horses. Like how many times were people saying, "Oh, now is the year Cotto Star is going to fail." Because French horses would regress with time. No, he just kept getting better. He defied all of that. So you have to take each horse individually and on their own merits. Yes, it was disappointing she was beaten. But it's the beginning of the season. And De Bromhead's horses were running terribly. I'm sorry, but they were. And it's great to see that turn around now that he's had a couple of winners over the weekend. Because hopefully they're going to pull out of that spiral. That being said, Paddy Aspel, I can't think of a reigning champion at Cheltenham who's gone for a lesser race. I, nothing comes to mind. Annie Power was beaten in a stairs hurdle, then went for a mare's hurdle where she famously fell on that day where all the favourites had won, and then she won a champion. But she was running in the mare's hurdle because clearly three miles doesn't suit her and she hadn't won it. I can't remember a champion going for a perceived lesser race at Cheltenham 
Um, and that, I think, is what bothers people about this. Is it's, it's fine, absolutely, go for a race that you can win. But having said that, we were all excited about Constitution Hill versus Honeysuckle, and Kelly, Kenny Alexander was bigging that up as well. And now all of a sudden, she may go for the mirrors. What's your reaction, Petty? Well, I think if she bounces back and wins a champion, uh, Chris, the Irish champion, there'll probably be a little bit more pressure applied than want her to have the, the showdown at Cheltenham. Whereas now you can see why they're considering this option because the trainer is always going to fall back on the old cliche, Emmett, that he's got to put his horse in the right race with the best chance of winning. So you've got to look at it from Henry's angle and you can't argue with that. He's got it in the best. He's got to put it in the race where it's got the best chance. At the minute, her best chance is looking like the mayor's. But if she bounces back and blitzes them in the champion hurdle, which there's every possibility she will do, always better for a run. She's always that visually good bit more impressive on her second go of the season. I think if she does that in the Irish champion, then there'll be a bit more call for. Well, come on, let her take her chance and go and take on Constitution. Uh, Cheltenham but for now because they're floating that idea and when I was watching yesterday I thought well fair play to you Henry he's just put it out there and he's just said it and didn't you know he didn't jump up and down about it he just said it and and, and said it was a viable option and for now I think it is but I, I definitely do think if, if, if she's good in the Irish champion there will be a little bit more pressure back on the 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 Bromhead camp to, to maybe let her let her take her chance yeah my reading of what he said and this is open to interpretation. I could be completely wrong. And bear in mind, last week I was saying, well, she won't run on the mare's hurdle. Uh, <laughs> it was brought to my attention yesterday that the, the bearded jockey had said on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, you should back her at 12s because she could go there. Um, so fair play to you. If you took his advice and you followed that in, you're loving life right now. But the way I interpreted what he was saying was if she's beaten in the Irish champion hurdle, and this isn't what he said, it's just I'm reading between the lines. Say if statement beats her in the Irish champion hurdle, She's still in good form. She's still, maybe she's run a good second. Do you really just call a halt to her career there and then when there is a race that's winnable at Cheltenham, a la the mares? Like the favorite for that race, she beat last year in the champion hurdle in Epiton. So I know there's a lot of talk about Brandy Love and Paul Ferguson loves that horse and the vibes from the Mullins yard are very, very strong. Uh, but she would be favored for that. So I can see in that reality that you go. But if she wins her fourth Irish champion hurdle, at her last attempt at running in that race, then you do you can't really then go, and now we're going to take on Epiton in the merit. No, you've got to then take on Constitution Hill. And horses aren't machines. You know, tell that to William Haggis. Like, Bayid looked unbeatable, ends his career beaten in, in the champion stakes, goes out with a whimper. It's, it's not ideal. Horses aren't machines. Strange things happen. So that, that was my reading of the petty. If she, if she wins the Irish champion hurdle, then it's game on with Constitution Hill. If she runs a good race and finishes second, that's when you would reroute her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'd be in agreement. Um, I think that's not a bad shout at all. And I mean, look, I think the race she ran at um, Fairy House, it was a bit of an odd one because we spoke about it the other day. She did her, her, her usual thing. You know, as soon as... Rachel sent her on and she hit the front. She always does the same. She always pricks her ears, backs off that hurdle like she's never seen one. She's a real character. Um, and 
But I do think the two guys were, were quite crafty and they challenged away from her a little bit yeah. because she's actually coming back again, going to the line. But, you know, the lads have, have, have just uh, done her for a bit of boot away from the back of the last. Maybe it was the ground. But look, it's not like it wasn't an Aplutard comeback. You know, she didn't bomb out. She's run really nicely. Um, so it wouldn't be exactly panic stations for me but yeah it was a great show by the by the the bearded jockey if you, if you could get a bit of that 12s at the time for the mares um because for me you know at, at the minute it's got to be it's got to be a very live option Emmett. you know it's it's uh, i've got to come down in 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 henry's favor here if he does come out with that old comment saying he's he's got to put his his horse in in, in the best race with the best chance well what i love about this is it kind of answers the question is she going to be retired prematurely this season? It's pretty much telling you, no, they're not going to do that. That Let her run at the DRF. And how big is that Dublin Racing Festival going to be, by the way? Dear God, that's going to be essential to be there. Um, run and bid for a fourth Irish champion hurdle and then go to Cheltenham. Go back to where she's been successful before. Even if she finishes second, you bring in the mares to that. Uh, and if she wins, then it's, it's game on with Constitution Hill. And Look, as fans, I think that's what we want to see. I, I want to see great horses continue to race on. Um, if they're fit and if they're well, keep doing that. Like if, if Stradivarius could have gone another season, great, that's terrific. But the signs were there that he'd never missed a day's work in his life and suddenly he was getting injured. It was time to call a halt to it when, when that starts happening. Um, if she starts bombing out entirely, that's a different story, Barry Cole. But once she continues to keep running well... She wins the champion hurdle in Punchestown or Leopardstown. Punchestown? What am I talking about? There's the Punchestown one as well. Uh, if she wins the the Leopardstown champion hurdle, that's going to be an iconic moment. The roof will come off the place, and then it's all roads lead to Cheltenham. If she's beaten there, it's still all roads lead to Cheltenham. You're just going for a slightly different race. Yeah, so maybe maybe the double to do at this stage is State Man to win at Christmas and Honeysuckle to win the mayors because if she's beaten at Christmas, it's 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 long odds on she's going to go for the mayors hurdle. But look, we, we see too many of these races recently with one to ten, one to nine shots. So oh. it would be nice to see Constitution Hill, although he probably will go off short. He's currently four to eleven. It would be nice to see Constitution Hill against Honeysuckle, wouldn't it? Like it's it's December now and it's it's the race that everybody's talking about, really. Those two clashing. So look, and, and if she wins at Christmas, it's a legacy thing as well. If she wins at Christmas and then they decide to go for the mares, it'll always be known like she's she's ducked this a bit, you know that way? Yeah. She she could have a chance to, to really put her name down in history. No, she will get down in history, no doubt, you know, but to really take on Constitution Hill, the up-and-coming superstar, if they were to sidestep that, it does, you know, her legacy wouldn't really be the same, you know that way, but um, yeah, look, if she, I think she'll win at Christmas. I thought the Brunhead was bullish enough in his conversations yesterday um, saying that, like, he was more or less saying it wasn't that bad of a run and I'm of the opinion that it wasn't that bad of a run, as are you. Um, yeah, I agree with Paddy said that lads were sharp enough and challenging away from her because, at the back of the last, she looked like she was coming again, and then towards the finish, she wasn't. They weren't really pulling away from her in a trip. That's that's not ideal for her. But yeah, look, I still think she'll win at Christmas, and if she does, it would be great to see um to see her turn up in the champion hurdle. I think I don't know Kenny Alexander well. I don't know Henry Bromhead at all. Um, but they look like sporting enough owners, and yeah, it'd be great to see her taking them on. Hundred percent. Um, how short is Constitution Hill going to get? Uh, seeing as, as trading is, is your reality. So he's going to run in the Christmas hurdle. That's going to be a small field and he'll obliterate them. Um, he's currently threes on. How how much shorter does he get after that win? He like he can't get any shorter than threes on. Like He, he literally can't. Like 
like you would think how good Isterbeck was and all this champion hurdle. Like sometimes he was coming off four to six, four to seven, that's or you know, at the top, top of his game. Mm. How can this horse go off any shorter than threes on at Cheltenham? Who's going to be back to them at threes on at Cheltenham? It's just so short. Okay, if Honeysuckle isn't there, you'll have State Man, you'll have the likes of Vaughan, and then even, even to you, Poe, I know he was, was two by four, he won the other day, and he's probably going to go for the stairs, but. Like he's a classy enough animal. He's won grade twos over over two mile, and there's there's still plenty of other horses in there that, like, oh, they're big outsiders, but they could improve between now and March. And and trees on, I he just can't get any shorter than trees on. If Honeysuckle wins at uh, Christmas, she'll come into four or five, won't she? Depending on how impressive she is. If she doesn't, it's looking like the state man obviously will, will probably beat her then. If, if Honeysuckle doesn't win that, he's currently six or seven to one. He'll shorten to three or four to one, no matter how impressive Constitution Hill is. So. He just, for me, he can't get any shorter than trees on. And it's ridiculous at this stage. If you're taking trees on about a horse, I wouldn't take trees on about a horse turning up at Cheltenham with all the water that can go under the bridge between now and then. Like, seriously, you know, every day you take these horses out, Paddy would know better than, than us, but every day you take these horses out, every day you do a bit of work or whatever, there's just so many things that can go wrong between, and you're, like, it's over three months away. So to take trees on, it's, it's crazy. It's bonkers. It really is bonkers. And again, if you're backing him and you're getting your kicks out of that or or you've seen something that you think he's going to go off fives on because the thing that worries me about this race um is like we should be talking about epiton napper's hill i like to move it we were going to see them race on saturday so hopefully that's going to be saved and we'll get to see them soon enough um what's the contingency for that actually patty is that is that meeting being saved or is that just gone now the um the race from Cheltenham. Yeah, the Cheltenham race. So the the big handicap chase and the what should be known as the Beulah, but is known as the International. Is that just now lost to time or are they going to try and revive it? Um, do you know what? I'd need to have a read. Um, I couldn't give you a definitive answer, to be honest. I hope so. Uh, but it's not something that's fresh in my memory that I've read, um, if I'm honest. Yeah, funny. I should know this as well. I mean, it's only my job to research this stuff. But I don't because it hasn't been mentioned. I, I don't, and mm-hmm. there's no nothing in the calendar for it to be saved. It just means that perhaps the Christmas Hurdle at Kempton will now be a deeper race than it was going to be. Um, Constitution Hill still wins, but maybe I like to move it, we'll be up against them. But we didn't get to see those horses. So if you get, if you go to the Christmas Hurdle at Kempton with Napper's Hill, I like to move it, Epitant, where does she go now? If, if that race isn't saved and they have to take on Constitution Hill, we know Epitant goes for the mares. Does anybody really think Napper's Hill or I Like to Move It is going to be constitutional? No, but they could certainly be a contender. And after that, everything in the race is from Ireland. Everything is is either a Gordon Elliott-trained Hatton's Grace winner who loves soft ground and probably wants to go up in distance in Tiapu, Vaughan, who hasn't run yet but is being trained for the champion hurdle, Stateman has had his prep run and he's won his first go at this. We still don't know what's going on with Sir Garrett. He's entered in novice chases, but He's also entered in, in hurdles, so who knows what the plan is there. Uh, that's, a, that's a weak champion hurdle right now. It's, it's priced up with lots of horses that are either going novice chasing or are going for other targets at Cheltenham and not the champion hurdle. So maybe, maybe Barry, maybe he can go shorter. You know what? When I was, when I, I'm not backtracking now, well, I am a bit, but when I was, the last piece I just mentioned to you there about he can't go off any shorter than one to three. As I was going down through the list, I went, well, maybe he can. <laughs> because just what you said, I went, he's not going to go, he's not going to go, he's not going to go. But yeah, strength and depth, I suppose, it doesn't really have an awful lot in it. But 
I, I still can't see how he goes off any shorter than one to three. Something will improve. Ten pounds, six pounds between now and then, and, and we'll shorten up. And um, I don't know. What do you think about Gaelic Warrior in there at sixty-six to one with some with some firms? Like, I know what what sort of a race was it that he won at Tremor, but. You, he won by 96, 86 lengths, wasn't it? 86 lengths was the official distance. I mean, you may as well just say he's won by a furlong. Like it, it was extraordinary. Now, he's beaten Muck, but horses don't do that. But look, Facile Vega, Facile Vega's maiden hurdle at Fairy House wasn't much better. It wasn't. There was not True. much threat and depth in that either. Now, he won that by, what, 12 lengths? Yeah. And like, I know Gaelic Warrior, it, it was a very poor race, but how often do you see a horse winning by 86 lengths, no matter how good they are? Well, you don't. Um, Never. We, we saw Cotto Star win a King George by a furlong, but that was Cotto Star in a grade one chase, yeah, like the, yeah. one of the greatest that you've ever seen. Um, and I'm not doing a direct comparison between Cotto Star and Gaelic Warrior, but it was visually very impressive. And he is a second season novice, so they could mm. send him to the Supreme, but they could also go champion hurdle. And look, Brazil has stepped up, Paddy, this season. He's come out and, and won in open company. Um, so I, I completely see why the champion hurdle will come into the reckoning for him. The the impression I'm getting from William Mullins is they, they want to stick to the novice route with him, but you could send him into open company if you wanted. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what we've seen him so far, which I appreciate isn't an awful lot. Um, certainly very, very exciting. He was a real talk horse, wasn't he, earlier this year? And we just know, you know, we know so little about a few of these horses still. And, um, I mean, in that horse winning the other day at Tremor, it is attractive. Willie Mullins, he loves Tremor, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he sends he, he sends all his uh, his his best ones there, which is incredible, really. But I mean, that watch the other day, it was literally like he would have probably done more around Willie's gallop. I'd imagine the morning before um, 86 lengths was absolutely incredible. But yeah, I think there's an awful lot to unfold Unfold still. It's still, as far as Willie Mullins recruits go, to say we're in getting on to mid-December, we're still at a very early part of the season because we've not seen so many of them as yet. Yeah, it's a great point to make. He's 20s for the Supreme. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, you just you just don't know where he, he's going to go, and as and as as Paddy said, he is exciting because he done an awful lot wrong last year when he was beaten by Brazil. He was keen all the way through the race, wasn't he? Well, I tell and you, there again, there's no wrong answer here. Like if you want to go Ballymore with him, he's tens for that. Like I'm not so sure he should be that much of a of a big price. I I love Fasal Vega, and I'm very interested by what he's going to do for the rest of the season. We're going to see him over Christmas either in the Lawler's Hotel. Novice Hurdle at Nace, or he'll run at Leopardstown. Um, so we are going to get to see him again very, very soon. But he's taken up a huge chunk of the Supreme Market. He's 5-4, to four and maybe he's going to go unbeaten. And then you've got this Philagelic Warrior who's been to Cheltenham before, was narrowly beaten with uh, a real lack of experience, and has pulled it up on his Hurdle's debut. And you can get 10s for the Ballymore, 20s for the Supreme, and 66s for the Champion Hurdle. I wouldn't put anybody off any of those particular markets for him. He's, he's very interesting. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. 
Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Um, going back to Henry de Bromhead, one of the other pieces of information that we got from the weekend was a Plutard came back sick. So this was one of the really disappointing things about his run at Hayda was there was no explanation as to what had happened on the day when he pulled up and folded like a cheap deck chair, having been so impressive in the race the year before. Um, I spoke with Dan Skelton on Thursday. Protectorat is not going for the King George. He's prominent in a lot of markets. He was just left in there as a precaution in an alternate reality where something would go crazy, they'd run him. He's going to go to Cheltenham on trials day for the Cotswold chase. That's when we'll next see Protectorat. And they're very, very bullish about him. Um, you can listen to that on the podcast feed on the final furlong, by the way. It's a podcast, I think, two episodes down. Dan Skelton talking to us on, on TalkSport 2. Uh, but a Plutard, at least we now know what happened. The horse was genuinely sick. And there's a chance, Paddy, that we're going to see him over Christmas, that he may very well go for the Savile's chase at Leopardstown. Um, he could also turn up on, on New Year's Day if he wanted to. They could go to Tremor, but that's really Willie Mullins' playground these days. So the Savills at Leperstown has come into the reckoning for him, and now we have a reason for his disappointing run at Haydock. That's going to be a relief to a lot of people, and Barry will tell us in a second what his current Gold Cup price is, but what was your impression of what Henry was saying about him yesterday? Yeah, I suppose it is a positive, isn't it, that at least something has come to light. Obviously, physically, they didn't find anything on the day. It was a blood test, wasn't it? The city picked up something literally at the 11th hour of him, even uh, having travelled to Haydock, because they said he travelled well and everything appeared okay. It was literally on the day. Um, But, you know, because he never really featured at all in the race, he never got competitive, Rachel pulled him up straight away so it's not like they've really really bottomed them out and they've bottomed out a sick horse as well so yeah you'd imagine that Henry will be able to fingers crossed get him back round and in some sort of shape pretty quick and you know just hopefully get a, a much better run for your money next time and the market had taken a right old swing like he had drifted out considerably for the Gold Cup but now he's going to be heading back admittedly a race he was beaten in last year but we're actually going to see him we didn't think we were going to see him until next year um, that's a positive. Is the market going to see much of a swing between now and Christmas, Barry? Yeah, well, he, he did touch 10s with a lot of places before that news came out, and you can still get 10s in, in a place or two, but it's a general sort of 6 or 7 to 1 chance for the Gold Cup. And I think it's a, it's a good point that Paddy makes. Um, obviously, Rachel knows the horse very well, and they didn't give him a hard time turning in for home when it was when it was obvious his chance was gone. So, look, it, it's... I know it sounds silly, but it's it's great to see there was something wrong with him because at least you've you something to work on now, and that wasn't his, his true running. It'd be difficult if he went home and and you couldn't find an issue. That's that's when it's a real head scratcher. But um, the fact that they didn't didn't give him a hard time, Rachel obviously felt there was something wrong with him. It, it does take a while for these blood tests to come back, but um, yeah, it, it gives you more hope, I suppose, from an owner trainer point of view. That look, this is what's wrong with him. This is what we need to rectify, and if we do, we could hopefully have the uh, the A Plutar that we all know back. Uh, back in uh, in uh, running somewhere near his best. So, yeah, current six or seven to one chance. Probably looks a bit of value now when you see, like, the Gallop and Deschamps up there, really. He's, he's uh, around nine to four or five to two chance. Yeah, with Gallop and Deschamps, and it, it's actually just to stay on a Plutard for a second, it's amazing how your mindset can change. Like, when you've got no explanation for a horse bombing out in a race that he had won devastatingly impressively the year before, you do have a, a real question mark about him. The eyebrow is raised, and, and you may even take him out of the tracker, or at least proceed with caution on his next start. But then when there's an actual excuse, there's a real answer for what happened, it put th- puts things in a whole different perspective. And, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be overly disappointed if he was beaten at Christmas time. 
by the way, seeing as he lost that race last year, but you would love to see him bound out, go and win, and then suddenly he's right back up to the top of the market. And it's now not that, oh, he had a hard race at Cheltenham last year and he's still feeling the effects of that. No, there was actually a problem with him. So hopefully they can get him back to his to something like his old self. Um, and, and yeah, look, I'm, I, I can't wait to see him in action over Christmas. Suddenly we're, we've got something to be excited about with him as opposed to going into it and being a little bit nervous about it. Um, a man who I believe is is quite... By the way, that interview came from uh, Richard Thompson with Nick Luck, to give Nick the, the full credit, who's been crushing it with his podcasts. Um, so, yeah, Richard Thompson speaking eloquently. And, and it's great that a big owner is, is coming out and, and communicating with the public in the way that he is, because racing needs more of that. And we've got some fantastic communicators, but a lot of them are, are incredibly busy. Um, so fair play to, to Richard Thompson for, for speaking as eloquently as he did and, and setting the record straight. Uh, on that horse that we're going to see over Christmas when it looks as though we wouldn't. Um, something that has become a massive conversation, though, is the Ronan McNally case. So, Richie Forrestal has written eloquently about this in the Racing Post, and I agree with him. Like Everything that, Richie, that Ronan McNally has been accused of and has been found guilty of is shocking and would send you into a blind rage. Where's the evidence? Why has the evidence not been shown to us all? Why are we not getting to see exactly what he did and how he did it and how the RHRP have proven that? And this leaves them open. Like, if they've got him, that's one thing. You've got the guy, you've backed him into a corner and you can show what he's done. But if you're backing him into a corner and then not showing the evidence, he's going to come out swinging and you're giving him the ammo to do that. Um, What do you make of this whole case, Paddy? Yeah, I read the whole thing the other day um, about the charges that were put to uh, put to all of the all of the guys that were involved. To be honest, I um, mean, you know, because there was a few jockeys in there as well, wasn't there? And mm-hmm. obviously some other names and trainers, David Dunn, um, and yeah, I mean, there's some stuff like in the UK, if you go into an inquiry and then you reveal something in the shoers room that you didn't report at the scales on the way in. Yeah, look, it's no big deal, but you will get fined for it mm-hmm. because if, if you're if you're hauled in and then you say in the steward's room, oh, well, actually, uh, this happened or that happened, you know, he made a noise or he lost his action for a few strides or I wasn't sure about this. If you didn't report that as you passed the Turk of the Scales on your way back in after the race, they, you, you will deservedly get fined for not reporting it because then you can't produce it as or try and produce it as valid evidence you know, in an inquiry. But they're trying to um, sort of go back in time and, and, and they were trying to, like, they were charging the jockeys that there was Mark Enright or O'Keefe, uh, you know, and, and I just found it was a little bit back to front and, and why why they're, they're, they're doing it so far down the road. I know there are only some of the minor details, but there was a, there was a good bit of the things with McNally that didn't sit right with me. I mean, Not a lot of people have mentioned about the fact that he's scoping his own horses, Emmett, Mm. which I've heard heard no one really speak about that. That's very serious. Like, he's a horse trainer. He's a a kitchen fitter. He's no vet. Uh, Now, I'm no vet. I, I wouldn't try and scope a horse. I wouldn't try and fit a kitchen either, you know? It's, it's, it's really dodgy ground. And, yeah, look, it's not cheap to train horses, but... 
if, if you're training horses, you do the job. You try and do the job properly. I really didn't like that um, scope in your own horses. That really is a penny pinching. You, you, um, for the for the the sake of trying to save a few quid, you really are um, sort of dicing with your 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 horse's health. It's it's not good stuff. That I, I, that wasn't a comfortable read for me, and that was only one of the elements. But look, he, he, he's he's a um, He's a, he's a character. We all know that, and people have said, "Look, he's 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 just tried to, to drain completely drain the marrow out of the bone, let alone take all the meat off the bone." And I can see that point here. And I think it's a it's it's maybe a little bit lazy just go down the route instead of getting the small man here. Because when I read through it, you know, it, there's some plenty of uncomfortable reading there um, for me, and but a lot of the stuff is. They're piecing stuff together without physical proof as regards schooling his horses at home with the stalls, with the with, with the jumping. You know, that goes on every day of the week, Emmett. It, it was more so this scoping thing didn't sit right with me. But yeah, it, it was it was it was not good for racing. Um, but I, I really honestly well when when he is facing charges and none of the charges are involved with laying horses or horses getting beat. Any information that apparently was passed on was regards positive and winning chances of his horses. Um, I think if, if, if you went through went through it with a fine two comb, there's plenty of horses running up and down the country where we probably couldn't be possibly clear about the ownership and, and, and if the paperwork is all you know, um, is, is all above board. It's Look, they're really minor details, but there was certain stuff in there for, for sure with me. I'm, I'm not sure I was entirely comfortable with. Just on scoping horses yourself, because I was fascinated by that as well and deeply disturbed by it. Mm. Because if you wanted, in theory, you could just find whatever result you want yourself by scoping a horse. Like if you're doing that yourself, you're not getting... a either a contracted vet to the stable or or an independent vet to do that um first of all like are you doing it right for the welfare of the racehorse and secondly couldn't you just come up with whatever result that you wanted to say like the, hypothetically i'm saying that it, it doesn't it, it that goes beyond penny pinching that's just it's miserable and it's not in the racehorse's best interest and it's certainly not in your best interest to do that no, it it wasn't great, honestly, and I was quite shocked now when I read that. Um, you know, I mean, look, it's great that you will see some trainers use their initiative as as certain things they'll do in the yard and 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 their own little sort of their their, their ways how they do stuff. But when it comes down to veterinary and a, and a horse's health, I mean, how does Ronan McNally even know what he's looking for or looking at? Exactly. Like I, you know, I mentioned about you know, it, 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 I wouldn't even attempt to fit a kitchen. Certainly would not attempt to scope bars because I I would know I would know a fairly little about one. I would know absolutely zero about the other. Yeah, and he's not he's not a qualified vet either. So that that was a, a strange thing to see. Uh, to quote Richie Forrestal's article, he writes: "We've been told of the various charges that have been proved or not, but little in the way of those findings were, were arrived at or what was put forward in defence." I think this is a really important point to make. HRI have still not, and the IHRB have not provided the evidence that they have found Ron McNally guilty of. I'm not saying he's not guilty, and I'm not defending him. I'm, just like, I'm very much with Richie Forrestal on this. Why are you not telling us 
what evidence you have and showing that evidence to us. What's wrong about doing that? That is, that's how this stuff is done. Uh, they will obviously be key to forming a judgment on the whole episode uh, put forward in his defense. Nonetheless, allied to the information that was already in the public domain, the referral committee's report paints a picture of orchestrated conspiracies designed to dupe both the regulator and the betting public. And this is what really gets people's back up, and rightly so. The chart sheet is long and exhaustive and implicates McNally's fellow trainer David Dunn and point-to-point handler Kieran Fennessy in the conspiracy. For Dunn's part that involved concealing the fact that McNally owned all class and full noise when they were subject of significant betting coups, uh, while also they were running for him, and in the process exploiting handicap marks that McNally was deemed to have manipulated. Intriguingly, McNally was retrospectively found to have prevented the Janman from running on his merits when he rode the horse himself in a flat race at Navin in July 2020. The amateur rider Owen Brennan was also found to have done the same, in that race aboard The Real Deal. It was an intriguing aspect because the stewards on duty that day interviewed McNally about his ride, noting his explanations and cautioning him, cautioning him for not having reported a possible explanation for the Jamman's poor previous run at Goran Park. On the day at Navin, there is no record of The Real Deal's ride being questioned, yet both have now been deemed to have been prevented from running on their merits. IHRB aren't doing themselves any favours here, Barry, because I don't think there's many people who want to stand up and say, oh... Ronan McNally and David Dunn are being harshly treated here, like one for the good guys. No, this is awful and absolutely throw the book at people who who are certainly stopping horses. Um, but where's the evidence? And why is there such a problem with showcasing that evidence to us? Yeah, look, I'd say it's it's more legal than anything else, but it's it's, it's another one of these cases we had it last week. What wasn't a big case, Ben Bromley, and and it just seems to be nobody's going to be a winner here. It's everybody's going to come out looking bad. But I I think ninety five percent of people looking at this case are your your average one of the male punter. And these are just my opinions, and not the final four long or betbacks opinions. Just just my own opinions. Ninety five percent of people looking at the likes of the real deal, and you see seven or eight duck eggs in front of him. And then he's back from 100 to 1 to 6 to 4 favour and goes and bolts up. Yeah. And then he goes and does the same with a flat and he ends up winning the grade two. And the first thing that people are going to say is, oh, that horse has to be in stop for the last, I don't know how long, and now this fella's pulling this stroke. and this. But that's just the public perception of, 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 of people looking in. And you, and you can see that. But he's not the only one that's, that's, that's doing this. You only have to look at it at your run-of-the-mill maiden hurdle after two furlongs. And you can see 70% of the fields are... are, are are just not going to be in contention, you know the way. Yeah. It's very easy to point a finger at him, and it just doesn't look good. He's just done it to such an extent that it's sort of like I've got away with this, and it's it's the, it's the way he's done it. He hasn't just had six or seven pound in hand; he's had tons in hand. Mm. And there's as as Paddy mentioned, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't sit well. The likes of the ownership stuff and and the scope and, and it's, like there is an awful lot of stuff in there that doesn't sit well with me either. But um, he's done it to such an extent. Like other people can say fair play to him, he he got his few quid, he done it, but he's 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 overdone it in my opinion. Um, it's not just the case if he had one that was that was going well, that was had ten pound in hand, he's tons in hand, you know that way. And um, yeah, I don't know, it just doesn't sit well with me. Where's the evidence? We need like if people come out and say if the if the horse race in Ireland come out and say, look, here's the evidence, is this 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 and that, and you can go, yeah, okay, that's fair enough, and, and pinpoint to exactly where he, where he went wrong and where he broke the rules officially. Then we can see it, but yeah, it's look. Everybody knows it's not right, but we need the evidence to be to be pinned down and say this is what it, this is the really broke. That's the really broke. But um, yeah, it's 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 a case. It's it's not a nice case, I suppose, but something has to be done about it because 
as I say, um, it does do damage to the interest, especially of Irish racing. Well, he, and uh, yeah, the, the, be, because of what the IHRP have done and how they've handled this whole situation, he can give interviews where he says, "Oh, I'm being treated appallingly, and they're targeting me because I'm the small guy." And I completely agree with Paddy. I think that's lazy thinking and a very weak excuse. But he can make it because they haven't no shown the evidence. Them, yeah. I don't understand yeah. the logic in this at all. Like the, the people who have prosecuted this case are intelligent, well-reasoned, logical-thinking people who've done an enormous amount of work to get him and his conspirators. And then yeah, they're putting it all at risk by not actually coming out and telling us all what... Here's the proof, guys. Here's what he did. Here's how we came to this conclusion. It's yeah, this music. case is going on such a long time. With the, when the real deal first won at uh, was it Navin or Nate? Navin, I think it was. It's going on such a long time. So you think they've got this far in another two months and nail down what we need to have to then go public and say, this is what we found, that's what we found. And then it's it's case closed. It doesn't leave the door open for appeal. As as, as he said himself, his, his own words, McNally's own words, where he's almost certainly going to appeal. Now, almost certainly, I don't know. You think, you just don't know what's going to happen, but I'm sure there's going to be some legal tune and thrown and, and somebody's going to come out looking looking less than good, shall we say. Well, any solicitor who fancies themselves, which is basically every solicitor, any solicitor who wants to make a name for themselves would take this on pro bono. Yeah, and, you would. Just be you, like, you, you, oh, my client has been terribly treated. But you can because you can, as I say, you can pick a maiden hurdle from the last two weeks. You can pick 10 maiden hurdles and go, what about this horse, this horse, this, and then show the marked improvement. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, it, it would be easy enough to defend. But if there's other evidence there in the background, we, we do not know. The, a big thing as well that Paddy mentioned, is there's no laying of horses. And one of the charges he was guilty of was passing on information about the horse to allow others to profit. If I'm owning, and I know he owns for himself, but if I own a horse in, uh, with Ronald McNally and he doesn't tell me about making a profit on my own horse, I'd be, you'd be pissed off as well, wouldn't you? So that charge, I know it's passing on information to others like, that's, that's a grey area, really, isn't it? Like, well, can you well, tell your mother your horse is going to win? Well, it's a very grey area, because when yeah. Paddy and I are on TalkSport 2 together, and we bring on a trainer or a jockey, and we ask that jockey or trainer, how's your horse going to run? If the trainer says, well, he's going to need this run, and and he'll he'll benefit from the outing. Yeah, that's, that's information. He or she is not telling you, oh, we don't think we're going to win. They're just giving you their own genuine insight into what's hap- what what they think is going to happen with the horse. If that horse gets beaten and a listener goes off and lays the horse for a fortune on bet deck, is that yeah. is that Barry is that your fault, Barry? Is it is it Paddy's fault? Is it my fault? Is it the trainer or the jockey that we've asked? And they've just given an opinion. If you're gonna start following the letter of the law to the letter of the law, then everyone's yeah. gonna shut up and this sport is going to be be in real trouble. Yeah, and we'd have no opinions from anybody and like like if you met somebody a trainer, how's your horse going? Oh, he's going well. You know, it, it is, that is passing you on information and that's what yep. the law says. He can't pass on it. But that is, if he, he says, yeah, he done a great bit of work. He bet such and such in the gallop at home last week. That's information. And by the letter of the law here, that's, that's an offence, which it shouldn't be. Exactly. Um, and again, even just the, the wording of that rule, it can be interpreted in a various different ways. As in, we can all interview and we have and do trainers and jockeys about their horses for that day and ask them about how those horses are going to get on. And by the very letter of the law, that's okay. 
but it could also be interpreted as no, that's inside information. It's it's crazy uh, that that needs to be to be looked at. And for the record, two of the real deals races at Clonmel in March 2020 were mentioned with McNally supposedly passing on information to Fennessy so that he could lay the horse in question. But he says that didn't happen. And he can say that because no evidence has been put forward. The whole thing is farcical. And I, I don't understand how the IHRB have, appreci- have have tackled this in the way that they have and made such a horlicks of it. It's pretty simple. You have a legal case, you showcase the evidence against someone. And I don't think there's anybody queuing up. I'm certainly not queuing up to defend this guy. I have no interest in doing that. The amount of listeners who spend their week listening to the final furlong, listening to Nick Luck, watching the road to Cheltenham, uh, you're then watching the, the racing and you spend two hours, an hour, half an hour, whatever length of time, any amount of time that you spend on assessing a race and coming up with your conclusion as to who it is you're going to back and then placing a bet on that horse and bet Dak only to see this monster gamble of a 33-1 to shot going off at 5-1 to with no form whatsoever and that horse then comes and does you. You're going to feel pretty sick about that. And we've all experienced that at one point or another. Every single one of us has at one point or another been beaten by a racehorse who had no form whatsoever to get there. And if that's been done the whole time, which you know, obviously I'm exaggerating, but it, it was a, a recurring theme with him. And it doesn't sit right at all. So absolutely take action against him. And if you've got evidence, throw the book at him. But before you but throw the book, maybe you should show us what's in that book. Yeah, but just to finish on this, my own finishing on it, like Barney Cordy was a legend, legend of racing sports, pulling off gambles, this and that. And he's, oh, he's a great man, Barney Cordy. Now, I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. And now Ronan McNally does it. And oh, he's a wrong one, that fella. Yeah. No, he shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't be doing that. So, you know, when you, when you look at it that way, Barney Cordy was a great man. He beat the bookies. Ronan McNally beat the bookies. Let's, let's throw the book at him. Let's ban him. Let's do this. Let's do that. That's the way the landscape has changed especially from a bookmaking point of view. Now, you know, bookmakers don't like you getting one over on them. And I'm sure there's pressure um, on the IHRB from bookmakers to, to have a look at this. Yeah, in death, you can reevaluate somebody and, and change mass opinion of that person uh, to be more flattering. I, I think there was a lot of people who disliked Barney Curley's antics. A lot of people. And now that he has passed away, maybe there's a more colourful view of that. Because... Like, there's no question. Like putting a putting a large gentleman in the one phone box of a race course to block it for the entire day as you launch one of the greatest gambles of all time. That's legendary status. And if you were part of that, or if you got on in any way, or reading about it, like that that book about Yellow Sam is amazing, right? It's it's a terrific that's, story. That's legendary status. But but why was that man in that phone box? Exactly. It was to defraud bookmakers. Exactly. You know, great great idea. Put the man in the phone box. But why was he in the phone box? I don't believe his mother was sick. Maybe she was. <laughs> yes, he spent a day at a race course on the phone because his mother was sick. I'm heading to Bellastown. I heard your mum's not well. No, she's not great, but I'm heading to Bellastown. Oh, I mean, it's just like, it was legendary stuff. Like, legendary stuff. But not only were bookmakers defrauded, any punter who was having a bet on any horse other than his was also. But there you go. Will, will, will there be documents? Are documentaries made about the real deal at Navin? In a couple of years' time. I doubt it. Are you suggesting that Pierce Brosnan is going to star in a film about the real deal? <laughs> if, we, if we spin it out entirely and do the... Um, what was the name of the horse that Edward O'Grady was involved with? That um, they they switched horses 
over it wasn't him who did this now it was the english trainer uh it was a british trainer who had two horses who looked like one was good one wasn't and they sent out the one that was good disguised as the other one uh and landed a massive touch there's a there's a film about it and pierce brosnan is is in that playing it playing Eddie O'Grady, he'll slap me in the face now because he hates that. Um, we'll, do you know what? We should do a podcast on that, actually, looking back on, on that story. But I'll get the name of that hey, film. Barry. Barry, I was going to say about the Barney Curley thing. I think I'd rather take, take a charge of the IHRB than, than try and tell some woman that she's not actually ill. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in this day. Murphy's Murphy Stroke. I've just done a bit of Google. Good Murphy man! Stroke Murphy Stroke. Murphy oh, Stroke. I'm cheating, I'm cheating. That doesn't come from the top of my head. Uh, Murphy yeah, Stroke. Hey, as long as you don't do it in the Christmas quiz, it's all all right, Barry. If, if you're Googling yeah. answers in the Christmas quiz, that you'll be disqualified immediately. But um, no yeah, that's, that's true. That, Murphy that was Stroke. the Caramel one, wasn't it? That's the one. That's the one, Barry. Um, we should do like a watch party of, of that film. Uh, with some listeners on Zoom and just have the crack. Uh, but anyway. Just, sorry, just going completely off topic. Paddy, while well, you've mentioned Cartmel, um, is it true that once you write a winner in Cartmel, you get a sticky toffee pudding? And what are they like? Oh, that's right. Yeah, they, they have the um, they have the shop in the village um, that make them. And yeah, winning jockey, winning trainer, uh, sticky toffee pudding. Good stuff. I've always wanted to know that. So, so there you go. Yeah, kick on now, Emmett. Back with your show. I had no knowledge of this although for for some reason that's rattling around in the back of my head a little bit that that was a thing uh if you're trying to keep your weight down do you care once you've won the race or do you just like scoff it down in in the in the hopes that you'll be able to sauna it off you by the time the next race comes along oh and it's like it's like uh it's like crack game and when you're getting it for free you're you just you're not going to throw it away What's the most amount of sticky toffee? Hold on a second. I need to with? know. Do you mean crack is in a humorous one or do you mean crack is in a yo, let's go have some fun? <laughs> you can take that wherever you want. <laughs> the latter. Paddy Aspel in Final Furlong Shocker regarding crack. It's like the, the Irish fella who goes to New York for the first time, sees a cop and goes up to him and says, All right, fella, any crack? Oh, dear. Uh, right. So last week, I was interviewing both Harry Cobden and Aidan Coleman and happened to ask them about the whip rule change. And they both went off on one on TalkSport. And since then, the Racing Post have been asked to them about it as well. And I don't think we can talk about this enough because Harry Cobden has labelled it bloody ridiculous. Patrick Mullins was on the show a couple of weeks ago. I was asking him about it off-air because the focus was Fairy House. He was talking about how he's very focused on his writing, obviously, but he is practising already to get ready for, for these rules. Um, I haven't had the chance to talk to you about this yet, Paddy, on, on TalkSport, so I'm, I'm interested in your view here. First of all, what do you make of the rule change? And secondly, how important is it that so many jockeys like Harry Cobden and Aidan Coleman are coming out and speaking out against it, labeling, labeling them bloody ridiculous? Yeah, it's, it's it's the timing, I suppose, isn't it, that it's, it's coming in is maybe definitely making it appear like it's going to cause major issues. And I'm sure there will be bumps in the road, but I think Sir Mark, he summed it up perfectly, didn't he? He says, as far as the disqualification goes, it, it, it'll happen once and, and won't happen again. And I, I think he's right because people will be that shocked and think, well, you know, this is pretty serious and they'll just have no choice but to take it on board and, and just have it have it in, in their mind at all times. And hopefully then it'll become like second nature. But... 
For me, maybe the one issue that they're going to have with the whip in the back, and I've seen a good few of the jockeys. I watched Tom School ride a winner the other day at Fontwell. Um, I know some other jockey, and I only pick it up when when they're shown replaying the, the finishing in slow motion. But Tom School rode a winner, and the guys are practicing. You know, they are trying it, and you know, so you've got to take your hat off to them for that. But like one jockey in question, or the people will have picked up on. Obviously, Luke Morris, his whip action is quite unique, and his his style is quite unique. Um, and I know, obviously, it's a bit of a running joke, but you know, Matt Chapman used to always call he nicknamed him the sniper because you know he's a, he he could probably pick up the ride on anything and and you know but he's just a very switched on clever fella but now uh, definitely on social media Luke Morris's his current nickname is the thrasher but the reason he's picked up that name or nickname should I say is because he's had to adjust adjust his whip style and he's been having to do it for a long time because the stewards were doing him every week for over the shoulder mm. So he's had to adjust it that he's 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 thrown his arm out the way because he's still trying to keep the keep the force, but without bringing the shoulder bringing the arm over shoulder height. Because if you want force, obviously you've got to bring it as high as you possibly can. Um, now he do, he uses the stick in the backhand ninety nine percent of the time, but to try and still keep this bit of force, he's having to throw his arm out the way, and it really is throwing the whole it's throwing the whole job out of sync. So that's why his action is very unique, and I mean, you know, he he does this sort of it's not like the Adam Kirby bump and grind. It's it's quite different, and yeah, look, it's not easy to the eye, but you know, he's still strong and effective or, or, you know, however you want to to sum it up. But he's had to adjust it um, to try and stay within this over-the-shoulder rule. Whereas I think when they bring it in, we're going to see guys getting done for this over-the-shoulder because it's impossible to have the same strength and force um, that you would have with the stick in the forehand than in the backhand. It is impossible because Ruby the, summed it up the other morning on the morning line. You're taking the power out of the, the force in the fist um, or in the wrist, should I say. Um, by putting it in the backhand, there, you've, you're nowhere near as strong with your stick. So whether jockeys now are going to start coming higher with their arm to see if they can have a bit more effect. But I've got to take on Matt Chapman's point as well. It's not what position the stick is in. People that haven't got much knowledge of racing, Emmett, they're still going to see a horse being hit with the whip, whether you've got it in your mouth or your hand. If the horse is getting hit, it's getting hit. Um, and that's that's what the people don't like. I really don't see if this is going to alter much, but by a people's persona of, of how of how they how they judge um, what what racing looks like, backhand, forehand, whatever. But uh, I do definitely think we're going to have we're going to obviously we're going to have some trouble maybe with the Irish lads coming over and just being asked to 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 uh, ride to these rules straight away, but. Same thing. If they go to France, go to any other country. There's different rules, um, you know, and you've you've got to adjust. We don't like adjustment. We don't like change. I think that's just human nature. But uh, for me personally, in my own opinion, I do think that the stewards will be busy banning jockeys for the over the shoulder when it does come in. 
Yeah, well, Frankie de Tori got a very hefty ban for his ride on Toccata Tasso in Germany that almost ruled him out of the arc. It just happened that the ban ended on arc day. So he would be free to ride Toccata Tasso in that race. Uh, but he got oh, a, that, that. That was just to do with the numbers, Emmett, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't that's it? all it was. It was, was. Style, technique. And he was, it was just a number, wasn't it? And he was one over. Hmm. So, but under German rules, and you play by the, the rules of the racing jurisdiction that you're in, under German rules, that's you're gone. You're out for, for a considerable amount of time. Um, do you agree with this, this rule change? Or, or do you think this is just optics? Yeah, honestly, it's, it's, it's optics. I do think Matt Chapman, he's got it right. Matt probably gets plenty of stick in, in, in plenty of quarters. But I think he may, at times, when he's relaxed and he's talking, he's talking... Uh, sense, I think he does make some great points. He has got a good understanding with a lot of the parts and features in racing, and he's got it bang on here. I think visually, people who don't know that much about the ins and outs of race riding, they will still see a horse being hit, mm. whether it's forehand, backhand, um, you know, and different jockeys have, as we spoke about, have got different styles and techniques. Some are easier to the eye than others. Um, but if they're going to see in a finish, two jockeys in the finish that are both busy with their whips, whether they're both bang on the sevens or the eights, people are still going to see a lot of whip action in the busy finish. Uh, I think, I think it's just sort of move, moving, moving the, uh, moving the pieces around on the, on the, on the chessboard, isn't it? Well, I mean, even in the whip consultation report, and I've said this before, but it's, it bears repeating. People were asked, it was 1,117 people were surveyed. I think that's the number. It's around that anyway. And in the questionnaire was was the question to each and every person surveyed on the streets of Britain, has your view of horse racing been tainted by the influence of an animal rights group or an animal rights campaign? So that question was already there. They were prepared for that. And a lot of people said that Yes, they had been impacted by, they had been affected by seeing close-up images of, of the whip. And when the interviewer then took the time to explain, well, it's actually an air cushion device and it doesn't cause pain and there's no peer-reviewed study that says horses are hurt by, by an air cushioned whip and it's more to do with the, the breed and the genetics of a horse and the sound that it makes that makes them, makes them control and you need it to control a racehorse. The vast majority of people who were being questioned went, oh, oh, well, now that you've actually explained what it is, that, that's better. I don't, view I don't think it should be banned now. A number of people changed their view. So the BHA have almost answered the question themselves. Just do a better education about what the Procush is. They even talked about changing the name and how it's in the regulations that you can't rename something after a brand. You can't call a vacuum cleaner a Hoover, for example, which is the most famous example. So they couldn't call it the Procush, but they even talked about changing the rule that you then allow it to be called the Procush so that every media company can say, oh, he's used the Procush X amount of times. Um, the whole thing is about optics. It's, it's completely about optics. It's just playing this, this game of trying to pan to, to fans who are never going to be fans of this sport. It's like the BHA got a marketing company and said, go find us people who hate racing so that we can kowtow to them. Like, if you send people out to ask the question, what do you dislike about football? That's too long. Okay, all right, so make it half an hour aside, okay. Uh, oh, I don't like the physical contact. You shouldn't be allowed to tackle. All right, so no contact. You think the Premier League are going to rewrite the rules to, to please general public 
who don't watch the, the sport to kowtow to them. No, they're not, because they believe in their product. No one's doing that stuff. And yet racing seems to be, and particularly British racing, has this paranoia and this obsession with trying to please each and every person. You'll never please everybody. You will never please everybody. Even if they were to do away with the whip entirely, all the people who, who this is for want the sport gone itself. Like if you give up this, and, and they basically are, once you start implementing the amount of times you can hit a horse with the whip, as Dennis O'Regan said a couple of weeks ago in the final furlong, you're only... He was actually arguing, at this point, the BHA may as well just ban the whip entirely because that's the direction this is going in. And the problem is, for all of these people who want this implemented to try and kowtow to a certain group, as soon as you're giving in to them, they're going to take more. Give an inch, they'll take a mile. They'll want jumps racing gone. Oh, horses shouldn't be jumping fences. Oh, horses shouldn't be jumping hurdles. Ban that, and, and then maybe we'll watch it. That's, but that, that's, the, that's the problem with this, Emmett. Like, they've made so many changes to the rule. Uh, they started off with the, with the number of strikes. Then they've brought in the pro push. Now it's gone from a backhand to a forehand. And eventually it's going to be so minimal, the contact with a horse, where you can hit a horse, how many times you can strike a horse, that these anti-groups can just simply turn around and say, well, you're only hitting the horse now four times. It's with a pro push. It has to be in the backhand. And we're going to keep on saying, or people in racing are going to keep on saying, it doesn't hurt them. It doesn't. So then the, the, the logical argument for them is, well, then why do you need it? Exactly. And, and, you, and you can't defend that argument. You, like you're going to say to them, this doesn't hurt. We're only hitting them, flicking them with a backhand. It's with a pro push. And then you cannot defend that argument and say, well, why do you need it? You know that way? Because if it doesn't hurt them, they're not feeling it. Why do you need it? And that's, it's just public perception. And that's what it's coming down to. Yeah. And again, Peter want racing gone. Like they, they're not going to stop yeah, until exactly. it's, it's done. Don't go racing. I got the head of Peter UK to admit on talk radio because we couldn't, we couldn't agree. We were never going to agree. And I just cut her off and said, look, this is going nowhere. I'm on my side. You're on your side. We're never going to agree on this. So just tell me what it is you want. What is Peter's ambition with racing? What would make you happy? And she said, you need to stop breeding racehorses. And I asked her to clarify that, and she said, well, you need like a couple of years of not breeding any horses. And I went, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, across the United Kingdom and around the world on talk radio, Peter admit they just want horses gone. They want them gone. That's the end of it. And she goes, no, 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 that's not, you want to eradicate the breed of racehorses and that's going to solve everything. Because no one's going to look after these animals. You know, no one's, what are you going to do? Just uh, tear up an entire institution, an entire uh, thing that employs hundreds of thousands of people across the United Kingdom and Ireland, ruin an entire industry to save these horses. Are you going to look after them? Are you going to feed them? Are you going to treat them like the kings and queens they're being treated like now? No, you're not. You just want to, to eradicate them. Uh, and Peter are a very dark organization. They're a very dark organization. But they're also being given ammo by the BHA to just to do this. There's, there's another aspect to all of this that I'm very uncomfortable with. Um, the current rule, and Paddy and Barry, if you know differently, please correct me. But the current thinking from the BHA is once this comes in, let's take the Hennessy as an example, because... Harry Skelton broke the rules that day. Nobody was offended by it. We spoke about it in depth on the show. Nobody was offended by his ride on the Milos. Nobody was offended by the amount of times he, he used the whip. And it was 
almost like the big sting in the tail afterwards that you were hearing. Oh, hang on, he's been given a lengthy ban and a significant fine for overuse of the whip. Now, under the new rules, he would lose that race. But on the day, he wouldn't. With the way this is being sold right now, what would happen is everybody would know, and ITV would know, Racing TV would know, and the live coverage of it. Paddy, if you and I are on TalkSport together, we would know. Well, he's used the whip four times more than he should, which is a disqualification. So he's going to lose the race, and it's going to go to remastered, and it's going to be a one-two for the David Pipeyard. And if you did the reverse forecast, happy days. You're in gravy. But no. Under the way it works, Lamilos would still be given the trophy. The skeletons would go up and get their awards. The owners, they all have to pose for the photographs. David Pipe has to sit there with second and third, knowing full well that in a couple of days' time, they'll have totted it all up and go, yeah, actually, we're, we're going to uh, change that result now. And congratulations, remastered winner of the Hennessy, Jericho Rock second and Lamilos disqualified. So it's basically a first-past-the-post system, which is great, which is terrific if you've backed Lamilos. But if you've backed Remastered, if you're the connections of Remastered, you're getting screwed over for apparently no reason other than first-past-the-post. Let's just stick with that. This is, this is a mess. And again, the BHA's viewpoint is, oh, well, it'll only happen once. A jockey just rode a finish a circuit too early on the all-weather. Neil Callan's one of the most experienced jockeys in the world, and he made a massive mistake because the adrenaline was pumping, and he wasn't thinking clearly. He held his hands up and admitted it was a mistake. It was a big one, but it was a mistake. Are we supposed to believe that this is only going to happen once? Once is going to be too much. Like That can't go ahead at, at current thinking, Paddy. No, honestly, it's, it's, it's unreal when you hear some of the, the new... Um, things that they're they're not trying to implement, they will be implementing, and this especially is is I think honestly it's rank it really is. You know, you're going to have connections up on the podium, posing with a trophy that they know they'll be given to someone else in a few days' time, the prize money, um, and then but then on the day, the bookies are apparently happy are willing to pay out on, on a horse, which in a few days' time won't actually be the winner of that race. And it, the second loses out at the time, the punters of the second, or the, the connections of the second won't lose out, but the punters of the second will lose out on the day. Um, further down the line, the, obviously the connections of the winner will lose out. And I've made this point on, on other platforms, Emmett, you know, this is another variation of horse racing VAR. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's terrible. You know, we're going to have, it's like false celebrations and what do the, do the, this connections of the second, they'll celebrate maybe a week further down the line. You know, it's just not right. It's not right. It's not real. You know, it's not horse racing. And, and, um, it really is just, really really ordinary uh, it's the only word I could use about it to be honest it's 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 a, it's a shocker but I think that ride in particular at Newbury it was only that night when I seen the headline yeah and I was about about had that Harry been fined in the ban and I was like oh you know and yeah it, it, t- it takes the edge off it but you were visually you were not visually offended by that ride 
Not and in the slightest. Not at all. And now, Ruby, actually, it's okay going through these things with a fine tooth comb. We could all be very clever in the aftermath. Um, but Ruby, when they break down these rides, that, that's their job. And Ruby got it absolutely spot on where he said, I'm sure if Harry watches this again, but it was the race winning move by what Harry did. He gave this horse a couple of quick reminders in each hand. And in doing that, he got that bit of a winning stretch on the horse in second because the horse in second was running him down from the back of the last. And that's why Harry had to get serious with his stick again. But Ruby was of the opinion that if he, he didn't have to use them early bullets, um, he, could, he still could have got, got home without them but you could see what Harry was doing it was good race riding and and you know maybe the race was won there at the back of the second last or the third last wherever it was rather than from the last to the line you know uh, and that that again is, is is all about opinions but when there is a numbers when there is a number on the limit you've got to count each one and, and, and so you, I suppose you can analyse them but yeah visually that ride didn't offend me in any shape or fashion. He had a horse that was still responding to the line, a horse that was given, and there was once there's still a response coming, it's far easier to watch than when there is no response. Um, you know, I'm sure most people could surely be in agreement with something like that. But oh, honestly, I, I think this new the new whip, um, you know, th- this new team that they're, they're, they're brought in to assess all these, these um, you know, honestly, I, I really don't know who actually proposes these ideas. And then to have people that think, yeah, that, that sounds like a gore. We'll, 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 we'll give that a word. I mean, oh, come on. Paddy, can I just ask you, it might sound like a stupid question, but as a former jockey, if you're riding one that comes under pressure, maybe three quarters of a mile out or a half mile out, is it actually hard to keep track of, of your count of strikes if you're you know you're trying to maneuver your horse here or there you've you know trying to worry about a right stride or stuff like that is it hard to keep track of the actual counts well i mean surely the numbers now barry have been in that long that jockeys it's just got to be second nature that they know they're on restricted amount of hits so don't waste them. You know you've got to save them. I know it's difficult in a long distance race. You're on a you're on a, a, a lazy horse that runs behind the bridle. You've just got to compromise, and and that's why jockey's fitness everything comes into it. You just got to be a fitter rider. Um, you know, change your hands, do anything, bar going for your stick too early because that's only going to lead. To, to to trouble and yeah. your waste your waste and precious precious hits um you know it it it, it really is it sh- should be by now second nature to jockeys because it has been in that long but you've got, just got to be mindful and save as much as you possibly can for when you really really need them it's a mess the whole thing is is an absolute mess and it's going to become more complicated between now and then. If the BHA had any sense, they would pause this. They would just go, you know what? We're, we're hearing what the jockeys are saying. We're hearing what connections are saying. Owners aren't happy about it. Trainers aren't happy about it. Jockeys certainly aren't. So there's concerns. All right, we're going we're gonna to pause this and we'll implement it at a later date. And then never implement it at all. Never go back to it. Never talk about it because this is something you can't come back from. Once you bring this in, there's only one way it goes. 
you either become more harsh or you just do away with the whip entirely. So, but but Emmett, isn't it horrible that you know we've got it now in rugby and now we've got it in soccer? This phase of play, mm. you know, you're 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 running the clock back to these phases of play. Like it's like now we're going to start doing that with horse racing. Yeah. You know, oh, honestly, it's 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 it really is tamp- like tampering unnecessarily and really not diluting the sport, but just making it so artificial. And and the the fact that something that you're watching in real time mightn't, but not that it's not happening. It is happening, but. We're, you, now we've got the they've got the power to rewind these things and say, oh well, no, actually, even though all that happened, th- this is now the result. Yeah, you know this kind of carry on. It's um, you know, we we, we really are overcomplicating a fantastic sport. But you're not even doing it for the benefit of the punter. Like the only no. people who are going to win from this is if you've broken the rules. If you've backed the horse that's broken the rules. Again, if you're on Lamilos, you're loving life because you're getting paid out and you're getting paid out by the on-course bookmakers, by the tote. Bet that will pay you out. That's great. That's tremendous. If you've backed Remastered or, or a similar situation, good luck to you. Yeah, we don't care about you. So like, who, who benefits from this? You're saying there's a rule and you can't break this rule. And if you do, we're going to take the race off you. But actually, on the day, everybody can get paid. That's all okay. And screw the, the great unwashed. We don't have any interest in you people. Like, yeah, whatever. Oh, you're the paying customers, and you come to, to race courses, and you pay for an overpriced beer in a cup, and you pay for food that's okay, but certainly isn't the, the standard you get in a restaurant. You're going to pay more for that as well. Yeah, come racing, everybody, where you, you're going to get screwed over. And again, that's solved really simply. I mean, VAR technology is there. If if we're able to tell, while you and I are on TalkSport together, oh yeah, that jockey's used the whip four times more than allowed, that horse is getting thrown out. But that's not going to happen on the day. As things stand, on the day, they all have to pretend they're the winner. What trainer is going to want to go up and, and get a trophy that he knows is going to be taken off him in a few days' time? What owner wants that? Nobody wants that. And punters are going to get screwed over. It's maddening. But uh, Emmett, honestly, I, I made the point the other day about if if Harry Skelton, if we're if we're under the new rules, Harry Skelton does that the other day and loses a big race like that. Harry's riding for his brother. They're mm. a partnership. They're a partnership. I'm telling you, if the owner, obviously, he's not going to be impressed. His jockey has infringed the rules. His horse is going to lose the race, won't get the prize money. Next next thing happens, that owner wants to take. Uh, if the trainer tries to stand by his jockey, tr- owner goes, all right, I'll take him to another yard. He can use a different jockey where you say, if you're if you're going to have tra- uh, owners taking their horses away, you're going to have trainers sacking jockeys, you know, because of the, the if... if, if that owner might own one horse. He might own 20 horses. Yeah. So who's going to get the bullet? The owner with 20 horses or the jockey where there's another one waiting around the corner who's just as as, as capable? Yeah, even... You know, you're going to have, even going if, to have lads losing their jobs. Even if it's... like It's more likely to happen to a young jockey. And even if a young jockey is... If an owner stands by that jockey and goes, well, look, 
we have a long-standing relationship with this fellow, or we think an awful lot of him, this was a mistake, we'll move on. He's out of action for a couple of weeks. And maybe he was supposed to ride a horse on the Saturday. Somebody else comes in for that ride. He's lost that ride now. You know, a new jockey that wasn't going to get that opportunity suddenly gets it, and the connections go, oh, we like what that jockey's done. We're going to stick with that jockey. That happens the whole time. You will have benefited from that. You will have lost out from that. That's the way it goes. And this is just another thing against jockeys in the long run. Uh, and it's going to happen. And and I, I think it's incredibly naive of the BHA to be saying, well, this has only happened once. Again, a jockey wrote, rode a circuit too soon. Most basic thing of all. I think we're just talking about the, the rules here and, and jockeys being banned. But what I think from a punting point of view, it's going to be it's going to be a disaster. Like uh, most bookmakers, all bookmakers settle bets at rules of racing. Exactly. And, that, and that's my point. a winner on a Saturday... On Monday, the rules of racing suggest that any power won that race. Yeah. You know, even though on Friday it didn't. But that's the rules. So, like, legally, if I have my tenor on a horse that wins, they're the rules of racing. That horse won the race. It's it's a real grey area at the moment, the way if a horse, you know, retrospectively can be reinstated as a winner of a race or, you know, if if people go to Portman Square and that sort of stuff. But punting uh, perspective, it's going to be a disaster. It, this isn't a, a simple verse Bondi Beach St. Ledger scenario where they both if if you've backed with a sports book on the day, you're getting paid out first past the post in simple verse, or if you've backed Bondi Beach, you're being awarded the race and then you're you're getting paid out by the bookmaker because that's how it's it's settled. Obviously, on course, on course bookmakers wouldn't pay out on simple verse, nor should they. Uh neither would the tote, neither would BetDAC, neither would, would any of the exchanges. Right? That's that's the way that works. However, disqualification rules are intriguing. Like the Portland handicap winner was thrown out of that race and the runner-up gets it. But if you back the runner-up, you're not getting paid weeks later. That's not how it works. It's settled on the day. So the best example to use is the Hennessy. If you backed Lamilos, you're loving life. You're loving life. But if you've backed Remastered, you're like, hang on a second. This guy's broken the rules that you've put in place and you've done this to protect racing, well, where does the punter come in in racing? Because I'm getting screwed. I'm sitting there watching ITV's coverage going, I should have the winner here. But no, I've got to watch somebody else go and get paid out. And this is going to happen. It'll happen more than once. It, it's not possible that this only happens once. And even once is too much. And I imagine this happening at Cheltenham. Jesus Christ. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. And, and it's, it's certainly not to the punter's benefit. Is not to the racing fans' benefit, this. It is to kowtow to people who are never, ever going to follow this sport. And it's it's a very, very dangerous way to go. Uh, we did see some racing. We did get to see some racing. Uh, Anergamin was back at the Hillyway Chase again. Well done to Cork for getting it on. Uh, he wasn't great at the second last. And there was a, another blemish as well. But aside from that, it was pretty comfortable day out for Anergamin. Uh, it was a crazy price. Uh, and he's now odds on for the champion chase. Is that correct, Barry Cole? Yeah, he's five to four on now for the champion chase. Eleven to four, Edward Stone and Shishkin is sixteens for us. But um, yeah, look, it's we've spoke last week about this. Some of these races we're not learning an awful lot. Um, second last, yeah, you get in a bit tied to it. But you know, he was good. What did we learn about it? Probably would have learned more if we had been down to Willie's watching the Gallop or something. You know, <laughs> but um, yeah, nine to one on. 
doesn't set the pulses racing. You missed the value. I heard you got 10s on. I got a bit of 9s on. <laughs> so, uh, I, was, I was happy. But um, look, we spoke last week about some of the other horses that we're seeing at the moment. John Bond, Fasel, Vega, Gaelic Warrior. It's, it's very hard to get excited about the performance, even though they're very good, look very good. But, you know, it, it, it's hard to, to dissect really how well they've done. As I said last week about some of the other horses, the likes of um, Fasel, Vega, he done what he had to do. He done it very well. Um, he's very exciting. Paul Townsend in, in his in his uh, interview after the race seems to be very happy with him. Mentioned the second last, and he never really looked to come out second or third gear, did he? So, look, done what he had to do. Odds on four to five. Uh, plus, like Edward Stone done more last week in beating the decent field. I know Shishkin didn't run up, didn't run up to his um, to his capabilities, but I thought that was a better performance. Even though visually, obviously, uh, an Ardman looked good, but um, four to five, eleven to four, I'd still rather be in the Edward Stone camp at eleven to four, uh, than take the four to five at the moment in Ardman. But just to finish up on him, yeah, he 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 done what he had to do, and he he was visually very impressive. Yeah, he certainly sets the standard. He is the reigning champion, and he's going to take all the beating come the day. And look, the reality is, if there's if it's proper soft ground on Champion Chase Day, if it's a repeat of last year, Edward Stone's not running. I don't see how Alan King debates left, right, and center all season long whether or not the horse can run on certain going and then go, yeah, that's okay. Let, let's go. I, I, Maybe. But I was very impressed with Edward Stone, and I would be in his camp now, especially given the prices are an Ergamine odds on uh, and Edward Stone odds against. Uh, that being said, he's got a great crowd at Cork. Proof that if you've got good horses running at your track, you will attract a good crowd. Uh, and that was terrific to see. Um, it was a no-bet race, but what did you make of his his comeback and his road to the champion chase now, Paddy Aspel? Yeah, I think apart from the second last, Emmett, where he got in underneath it a little bit, uh, but I thought he was pretty good on his feet. I mean, Paul Townend, afterwards, I think he was absolutely bang on when he said, you know, they've changed tactics again with this horse because they had been holding him up, hadn't they? Back to front running again, he, he ran behind his, his bridle a little bit and, and was was slightly docile. So I thought visually it wasn't too bad at all. Look, won't say it was a non-event. It was a grade two chase, but when he's been sent off at the odds, he is one to nine. If he looks in the wrong direction, we're going to criticise him for it. So it's 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 very easy for these horses to come under scrutiny when they're sent off at, at such prices and you know, both Town and Willie Mullins, they may, they use the same word afterwards. It's just, it, it, it's a relief. It's a relief that he's got a clear round and, and he's home safe and well. And you know, it's just a box ticking exercise. And so I think we can be a little bit too quick to criticise simply because because of the price they're sent off at. You know, the slight little thing we're going to go, oh, well, maybe, you know. I mean, just because they're one to nine doesn't mean he's going to go around and give every fence two foot on the way around, you know, it's a horse race and you've got to take everything in the, in the context. But, you know, I, I thought on the day it wasn't, um, it wasn't a bad comeback at all. And just, just good to, good to see him again because it's so much chat, didn't we? After that, that epic race at Ascot, to me, it certainly looks like it's broken the winner, yeah. uh, but in, in, in Ergamine, it still looks like we've got a fair bit of racehorse there. Yeah. It, it does appear as though something has gone very badly wrong with Shishkin since then. Um, I, he had a rare con- he had a rare bone condition that's not being talked about an awful lot he was diagnosed with a rare bone condition I, I'm not sure Shishkin will ever be the horse that he once was um, if, if anybody can but do it it is, it is Nicky Henderson he, got, he brought Spencer Sacra back uh, after all 
the, the most worrying thing about watching him go around the other day, Emmett, was he was constantly, constantly, um, Nico had his foot on the gas the whole yeah. way. You know, he never had any horse underneath him. You look, he didn't make any howling mistakes, but he he was never competitive under Nico, which for me, I know obviously Nicky said straight away about going up and trip, but the fact that he never carried his jockey of a, such a high-class, strong traveling ball jumping horse, he never carried Nico astride the other day. Um, that would, would worry me more than his finishing position, how far he was beaten, anything else. Yeah, that concerns me greatly as well. He may very well be taking on Protectorat in the... It might be Cheltenham. I think he was leaning more towards the Denman at Newbury, that possibly that's where they're going to go with him. It doesn't matter to me what distance he's running over. If he's continuing to run like he did in the Tinkle Creek, forget about it. It's it's game over. But uh, again, if anybody can get one back, it's it's Nicky Henderson. He put egg all over my face with a sprinter sacker and maybe he'll do the same thing with Shishkin, but right now I just don't see it. Um... Good novice hurdle in, in Cork was won in fine style by Henry de Bromhead's Hidden Valley Lake, a £200,000 purchase. We'd mentioned him on Thursday's show, and he could be a potato racehorse in, in the long term, Barry. Uh, this is a race that Black Hercules won back in the day before going off favourite for the potato race at Cheltenham. Obviously, that didn't quite come off. Uh, but what did you make of Hidden Valley Lake and, and his current price for the Albert Bartlett? He's sevens for the potato race, as you, as you call it. Um, I thought he was quite good. He, he looked in a bit of trouble. Turning in, albeit very briefly, but I thought any time Rachel sort of asked him and gave him a little bit of a squeeze, he picked up. He, he was a really good winner at the line. Um, he was looking not to win his point to point. He was he was carried out and he was going well. So he arguably should be arguably should be uh, three from three. So the form of that point to point was half decent. Um, yeah, Rachel only gave him one smack, I suppose, when, once he hit the front. And he ran out a, a very easy winner in the end. He, he looks like he, he's a horse with a good attitude. Um, as I say, anytime she sort of asked him and gave him a squeeze, even though he was half off the bridle, he kept on picking up and she never really resorted to the stick until he hit the front and she gave him one. And uh, yeah, he, he was a, uh, he doesn't look a quick horse, but he, he, uh, he hit the line well and he stays on well. So he's very promising. As I say, he should be three from three now. He was lucky in a point where he was carried out when traveling well. So yeah, quite a promising one for, for longer distances. Yeah. After the, the last two, he was basically had the, had the race by the short and curlies after that. He, he was quite impressive there, but there is an element of a boat about him, for sure. Uh, and he did get the, the hurry up from Rachel a little bit earlier in the race than you might have expected. Paddy, what did you make of him? Yeah, no, look, I, don't, I didn't think he could have done much more. They, they didn't go much of a gallop. Um, I thought the horse, although he was eight lengths behind in second, cool survivor, he's a big lad, and them hurdles just look to be getting in his way. Um, for now, I think he'd be a cracker over fences. And, you know, Monbeg Park, who's absolutely no slouch, uh, was back in third. So I think it's good for him. It was just good to see Henry have a couple of nice horses and actually produce, because, you know, we spoke the other day, didn't we, that they're just not, without running desperately bad, um, just them better ones aren't winning. So I think he had a couple of nice ones yesterday, but North Arctic, Brazil, um, and the horse we'd spoken about, Hidden Valley Lake, two nice ones for the future going forward. Yeah, he doubled his winning total for the last few weeks on Sunday. He'd only had two winners, now he's got four. Uh, so it's amazing how these things can turn around. It was the same with Venetia Williams a few weeks back. I was saying that as well, that you know, Venetia's horses weren't exactly firing on all cylinders and suddenly she won everything that weekend. So it's it can turn around, uh, but Hidden Valley Lake definitely has to go into the notebook as a horse to watch and, and is a serious Cheltenham contender if he continues on the same progression. He's going to go for the race that Manila Indo was second to Alaho in before going on to win the potato race at Clomel 
in February. That's going to be his prep run uh, as things stand. Uh, Dino Blue was well-backed but came up short to Cullen Murphy's Imperious. Uh, Imperious. Uh, very well-backed beforehand by the looks of things. Uh, the market was dominated by Impervious and Dino Blue, and that's how it's transpired. Not for my bank balance's benefit because Dino Blue disappointed, but um, Barry, market reaction and what you made of the race. Yeah, I thought Dino Blue was a little bit keen throughout the race. Wouldn't give up on her. Um, she's now 10 to 1 for a novice chase, Chetlam. Look, she's, she's still in a lot of markets, I suppose. She's even 33 for the mayor's hurdle, but the mayor's chase, she's 6 to 1 from that. Um, I believe Connections missed the Drinmore last week to go for this, so their, their decision was justified. That was a good performance. As I say, Dino Blue jumped well out in front, but maybe was a little bit keen. Wouldn't give up on her uh, just yet. But yeah, a good performance by the winner. Um, she's got a good reappearance, I suppose, wasn't it, back at Wexford at the start of the year. And, and she's in good form in the book. She's been beaten by a couple of decent ones, like the Love Envoy, and, uh, that was back in Cheltenham last year. But um, she's good form up around Down Royal last year. She was a, a good winner of a grade three. I think she'd beat a decent horse called Sit Down Lucy. She beat her well. So, yeah, promising type. Um, only a, I think she's only a, is she a six-year-old. She was seven in, in January, but um, yeah, she'll probably go for the mayor's chase. But I wouldn't I wouldn't give up on Dino Blue either just yet. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I mean, she beat Rosie's Holly by four lengths on Chasing Debut, and there's 14 lengths between Dino Blue and Rosie's Holly. Rosie's Rosie Hollow, even if my mouth words can work correctly, um, by the, the finish of this race. And Colin Murphy was saying afterward, Paddy, that he wouldn't be averse to putting impervious up in distance either that basically all roads are open to her but great for colin murphy a terrifically talented trainer it's great to see him back in the game and he's got a right one here yeah he's definitely got a good mare here and you just watch even beforehand you know when the leg brian hayes up in the paddock she's she knows her job she's quite highly strung i'd say she's a bit of a bit of a handful you know just to keep on the right side of her but she's very very talented there's no doubt and i just like the way the last 100 yards Emmett. you know she really did hit the line very hard i mean two out you're not going to say she's going to actually win let alone win by three lengths and you know whereas dino blue yeah was gassy on the front end but she's such a good jumper um you know and she does everything right and in the end i think she's just bumped into a real good one yesterday and impervious I thought at the death as well second last and last she had to be very brave Brian Hayes was very long at the last but he needed the jump um, and she's answered um, she only just barely got there but very brave tough mare and you know I've seen Colin Murphy in the past he's a very very capable trainer when he's got one um, so I don't think he'll make many mistakes with impervious and let's just hope she, she keeps all the keeps all the wheels on yeah, we remember the Brave Inca days incredibly fondly. Uh, what a legend of a horse. And of course, Big Zeb winning the champion chase as well. Colin Murphy is an incredibly talented trainer and it's great to see him back in the big time. Uh, juvenile hurdler, Blood Destiny, came into the Triumph Hurdle Reckoning with his win in the three-year-old maiden hurdle. There's going to be bigger tests ahead for him, but he's got a quote for the Triumph Hurdle. Uh, what is his current price, Barry Cole? Uh, 14th. 14th. Um, Willie still has a favourite there with lots. Seem out around about seven to two, but um, yeah, he was a good winner there yesterday. I thought it was Violet O'Leary's uh, colours when I seen it, but it's not. It's it's some syndicate uh, French import. Yeah, very good. I'd have a slight question mark about the form of the race. I think the runner-up was a seventy-rated horse in the flat. I think it's Andrew Slattery's horse. He only one win from twelve, and, and the third horse as well a, a similar sort of record, one win from thirteen. But again, yeah, he was impressive. Jumped well, made most, and um, yeah, decent winner. Fourteens. I suppose it's short enough on what he's done. It's one run, but it was an impressive enough win. But albeit, I would have, uh, I would have some concerns about the uh, the opposition. 
Yeah, I, I would view this as a very nice introduction. I'd mentioned him on Thursday's show with a view to, to getting to see him over the weekend. Uh, I was very pleased with it, but much bigger tests and much stiffer tests to come. And, and obviously Lossy Mouth is, is the leader in the clubhouse and leader in the yard currently. Um, that being said, though, what did you make of his debut for Willie Mullins and his comments afterwards that it's basically chasing is going to be the name of the game for him, Paddy? For Blood Destiny? Mm. Yeah, no, I thought it was good because, you know, Willie did also highlight, didn't he, that this horse has been a little bit underwhelming at home in his work. Um, but he, he said that Paul Townend had reassured him that, you know, this horse was okay and he was he was happy enough for him. And um, I just sometimes visually... I like how a horse goes along. And this horse has got a very good technique. You know, Paul Townend always had plenty of horses underneath him. And I like to see horses run through the line. And that's exactly what he did here. Yeah, look, he's going to have, he's going to be in much deeper water after this. But all he can do is win. He can't do anything else about the rest of them in behind him. But visually, I think there's, there's plenty to work out there for sure. Yeah, he is going to be given a grade one campaign. Um, so that's what they're going to do with him. And obviously all roads lead to the Triumph Hurdle, but he would look to be Triumph Hurdle material on this for all that he will need to improve, but I wouldn't put anybody off having a bet on him. Uh, and we'll end with uh, with the main man, Henry de Bromhead, who trained Arctic Bresel uh, to win the Baron Racing Maiden Hurdle to kick things off. Uh, beats Mercury by five and a half lengths. Mercury had been very, very solid in the betting. Um and and this was kickstarting Henry de Bromhead back in the winner's enclosure. Uh, Barry, what was the, the market reaction and what did you make of the performance? I thought it was a good performance, really good performance. She's um sorry, some good form in a point. He beat a horse called Mercury, or not Mercury, sorry, he beat Mercury's already. He beat a horse in a point called Master Chewy. He ran well at uh, Cheltenham on Friday. He, so he had some decent form in the book. Good cheer, jump in the last, in fairness. So well supported. It looked two horse race. Uh, in the market before before the race, but uh, he's been introduced now. 20s for the Supreme, 14s for the Ballymore, and 20s for the Potato Races, as it's now called. <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought it was a very impressive performance, five and a half lengths, and it, it's it's clear now that the Bromhead has the horses back back in good form. So yeah, a really good performance there. A um, little bit keen as well throughout the race as well, but um, picked up well and, and was strong with the Lion. So as I say, has some good point-to-point form, and uh, yeah, definitely a promising type, and it's good to see the, the Bromhead horses back in, in, in good form. Yeah, very much so. It was a fine performance, and he looked set for a, a step up into graded company right after this, and that's exactly what's going to happen. It, apparently, the grade two Moscow Flyer at Punchestown is going to be his next race. Um, what do you make of him as, as a long-term novice hurdling prospect, Paddy? Yeah, no, that was real good yesterday. I mean, this horse hadn't actually been seen for over a year. You know, it's 400 days, wasn't it, mm. since he last ran in his point, and just the way the the point to point job in Ireland is going, this fella was still actually a maiden, wasn't he? Going into yes, he hadn't even won a point to point, and he still cost an absolute fortune. But you know, if you if you if if you're bang there in the hunt in a point to point and you hit the deck two out, you've still got a hundred and fifty grand price tag on you. It's it's incredible, really. Um, and I think the one thing I like about this fella is he's got a just he's bred to be good, isn't he? Blue Brazil out of a King's Theatre mare and visually he's a very attractive looking horse. Is this the owner who had horses with Lorna Fowler last year? Yes, that's right. Uh, Davis, I thought I recognised the colours. He's been he's been a lucky owner. He's had, he's had some nice ones, but obviously he's he's invested heavily. But no, I thought that was a good effort yesterday. Both the, the winner and the second were quite fresh and gassy, which they were entitled to be the winner, especially, as I said, off the back of that absence. 
they were gassy. But yeah, it was a little bit fiddly the second last, but then when Rachel Aston, who went down and, uh, and nailed the last and, and galloped all nicely. And yeah, it was, it was very nice. And among a bunch of tidy source that we've seen yesterday. Yeah, that owner, uh, Davis, he's got the horse Digello, D-J-E-L-O, that I was talking about, um, with Venetia Williams. This was the one of the horses who won that weekend. They were saying, oh, her horses are in terrible form, and then they all come out and win. Um, he was making his hurdling debut for the yard at Exeter, and it was only his second lifetime start, and he absolutely bolted up. And they turned him out quickly enough, only 10 days later, and he bombed uh, as an odds-on favourite behind Jungle Jock. But I keep that horse in mind, because there's a nice handicap to be won with him, Digello. Uh, and he, and he, he still he, has his horses with uh, Lorna Fowler as well. He's got, he's got a nice team of horses. Yeah, John, I remember you speaking about him, and you, you were bang on him, but you know, the other day, he was just far, far too keen. He ran yeah. away. Uh, he ran away. He, he, he actually did well. If, if he was no good now, he wouldn't have kept galloping even as well as what he did the other day. He was just far too racy. Yeah, uh, that's a yellow. Keep a very close eye on that horse. He's got a nice prize on him. Um, 305,000 of the King's finest sovereigns were forked out in November of last year for Arctic Brazil. Uh, it's looking like a good investment now, but that is, that's just the way it's gone. I mean, I was the first time I, I was speaking to you, you were at the sales, Paddy. And I think that day I'd interviewed Sir Mark Prescott and he was at the sales and it's, it's gone crazy. Like there is no cost mm. of living crisis in the world of racehorse sales. No, at least they got seven, seven of them back yesterday. <laughs> not, 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 not much more to go, buddy. <laughs> so they're, they're they're slowly they're slowly chipping away. But I mean, I think the the only value we've seen this week was anybody who was getting involved at the 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 full sales. They were very very viable. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it's the, 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 that that obviously involves a long process. But these so-called ready-made ones, Emmett, that that are shown that there's ability there. Yeah, it's if 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 you want them, they're 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 six figures now, aren't they? Yeah, big time. Um, for all that, Attica, uh, the one horse at Cheltenham that we're going to talk about, was picked up for fifty-eight grand, which is not jump change. It's a lot of money, but in the racing world. Not really, and and it looks a very shrewd investment as well. He had a six-pound penalty to concede on Friday and managed to do so. He looks a useful enough prospect to me, Paddy. Yeah, no, that was a really tidy effort, and just like the way he went through the race, um, yeah, it looks like a fair bit of kit, and we spoke about some of them prices kicking around. Definitely afterwards, connections could could feel very satisfied that the, the they had for what was a a so called new new age bargain. Yeah, his jumping was electric, and Nicky Anderson was talking afterwards about going up in distance with him. That that was over two mile one, and what became the first race on the day at Cheltenham, the cross country race, obviously had been had been cancelled. Uh, but he he said he's going to need three miles in time, but. If he continues his his very sound electric jumping, where he seems to be gaining ground, uh, jumping an obstacle, then he'll have a, a decent enough future. Um, Barry, what did you make of Attica? Um, I went to Cheltenham on Friday, and unfortunately, my plane was delayed. Kind of the only race I missed, so I missed the first. Oh. But um, yeah, watched the back on uh, replays. He was very good, and he has form. I suppose when you look back through his point with um, Arctic Brazil, he beat a horse called Master Chewy there on. Friday and um, uh, Arctic Brazil uh, finished second when Massa Chewy was toured in that point. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good run. Um, he showed a good attitude, I suppose. Uh, Massa Chewy looked as though he was going to win ahead into the last. But in fairness to him, he doesn't look the biggest now. Just that's just now my first impression looking at him. 
on the TV, but he's uh, he's two from two now this season. So yeah, he picked up well, hit the line strong, and he he ran on strongly again when Nico asked him. So yeah, obviously he's a decent type. Yeah, he's going to head to a nice novice hurdle at Huntington in February. That seems to be the, the thought process with him. Um, and he's not one to underestimate. Uh, Attica, A-T-T-A-C-C-A. Uh, the final point then, gentlemen, is Fasal Vega for the Supreme, John Bond for the Arkle, Constitution Hill for the Champion Hurdle, Honeysuckle now for the Mayors, Gayard de Missile for the National Hunt Chase. It is entirely possible that we're going to have five assuming they all get there, five very short price favourites, possibly even odds-on favourites, over seven races on day one of Cheltenham 2022. Are you excited about that, Barry Cole? Uh, no, I wouldn't be excited about it. Look, not that I don't back odds-on or short price horses, I do, but uh, you'd like, uh, look, I suppose a, a bit of a mixture doesn't, doesn't uh, no harm really, but you don't want to see, you don't want to see five odds-on horses on the first day. I don't think we will. I don't think we will. Constitution uh, Hill will. I don't think Honeysuckle will be, even if she goes to the mares. I think she could be short. Um, Gallard de Manil, like if, if anybody wants odds on about him, please, please give me a ring. Just pass bet back and just ring me. Um, and yeah, Fasel Vega probably will be, but uh, Gallard de Manil, no, at this stage, odds on. I can't even see Honeysuckle going off odds on, even if she goes to the mares with some because if she goes to the mayor, she's obviously look. If she goes to the mayor, she's possibly done something uh, below par at uh, Leperstown at Christmas, so she shouldn't shorten um, two odds on. When you look at the likes of uh, the likes of Brandy Love, Loveland Boy, and uh, Epitant, if she goes there, so yeah, it's possible, but I can't see it. I'd say maybe you might get three of them to go odds on. Um, Constitution Hill, Facile Vega, um, Honeysuckle. Will she? Will she? Won't she? I, I doubt it. But um, as regards. Uh, Gaird and Manil being odds on. No, no chance. Yeah, it doesn't exactly sit very well. That, that tweet's been, I tweeted this out yesterday. It's been viewed 163,000 times. Jesus Christ. Um, but it's, it's not exactly awe inspiring stuff. For all that, it's not really connections' fault. It's just those races are there. But it does further water down any suggestion of Cheltenham extending to a fifth day, which thankfully common sense prevailed. This time, but it's it's still lurking in the background. You don't need to water down what's already good, and you certainly don't need to water down what's already uncompetitive. So, brief thoughts on it, Paddy? Yeah, no, it wouldn't exactly say your pulse is racing when you hear them sort of figures. To be honest, I mean, but maybe look, th- there's probably several factors. It's, it's lack of opposition. Uh, is the is the quality of horse improving? that they're just so superior that the the markets have got no choice but to, to price them up like that. But yeah, look, it, it, it wouldn't exactly have you lapping out of bed in the morning, would it, to to, to get down and, and watch this racing? And I don't think it's 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 overall entirely great for the sport. But, you know, that's that's where we are. It's, it's been a, a growing factor this year um as regards field sizes and i think it's it's going to be even more pronounced isn't it in in the better contests because let's face it we have got a shortage of of real real good ones and and real good ones that actually want to take each other on so it's um i suppose there's it's it's a two-sided coin in a way it's great to have these nice ones but you know you don't want to see them running around in non-events either do you no it's great that there's two british horses in this Markets in these markets, so you've got John Bond and Constitution Hill, but they're both from one yard, 
And it just further mm. exemplifies how much of a concern the fact that the number of 151 plus rated horses in both codes in the United Kingdom has halved. It's gone down to 43 since 2019. So since the pandemic, the number of high class horses in training in the United Kingdom has halved. That's worrying. And it's worrying then when you when you put that in the context of Cheltenham, where it's supposed to be the best of the best meeting one another in the best races. This all kicked off yeah. with Honeysuckle being rerouted to a lesser race, and it kind of ends with that as well. Um, anything else to mention before we wrap up, Paddy Aspel? Um, let me think. I mean, on a whole, I, I really do think that that the powers that be could try and leave racing alone a little bit. I, I think I think we do the job pretty well. Um, like I've, I've mentioned to you, Emmett, I mean, I, I went to America for the summer and, and see how they do it over there. I think we do a fantastic job over here, having seen some of the stuff I've seen. Uh, I, I wish they would leave leave things alone a little bit. Obviously, things have got to be monitored. Keep an eye on things, try and improve things. But moving these chess pieces around um, and, and, and not actually benefiting from it it's just not great. It's it's not it's 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 not a good sign of the future of our racing. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you, um, Barry. Anything to add before we wrap up? Just want to touch on Cheltenham the weekend. Uh, as I say, I was over there, and and the work that went on. Like people say, you know, we should have moved the races from Saturday to Sunday. It's not that easy. Like if you've got big sponsors involved, you can't just say to them a day before, listen. By the way, we're moving all your races to this day from that day when they have you know, corporate stuff organised and, and stuff like that and, and people have tickets booked. You, you can't just move to the day. I thought Cheltenham done everything in their power. Um, I took a picture there at Cheltenham of the parade ring on Saturday and it was like two different worlds. I put it up on Twitter. Half of the parade ring was lovely green grass and the other half was just completely frozen solid from where the, the sun was getting at the at the parade ring. But look, I know from my own experiences in being at a Greyhound track in Shelburne Park, how hard it is for the ground staff to cover a Greyhound track. It's really, really hard. And then covers are heavy, let me tell you. They really are heavy. And that's a Greyhound track. So, so the work they've done in, in getting the racing to go ahead on Friday, um, I think it was all credit to them. So it's not as easy just to say, we'll switch all the races. It just doesn't work like that. So look, they got a good crowd there on Friday and everybody that was there enjoyed their day. So it's better to have one day's racing on the Friday than none at all. Like If, if they had it went the other way and said, look, we'll postpone Friday, try and get Saturday on, they could have had no day's racing at all. So I think the criticism that um, Cheltenham are getting and John Pullen is a little bit, undeserved so I thought they, they'd done their best and the weather just went against them. Yeah I agree with that I, can, I echo everything you've just said and, and even at the start of the show when I was posing that question I, I'm doing that from the perspective of that's the criticism they're now being handed and it was really interesting that on Thursday Sean Quinlan was adamant no we'll race on Friday it's Saturday is going to be the problem but the thing is if they had decided look we're going to Friday's not as important today so let's we're going to cancel this in the hope that we get Saturday right everything else was cancelled so there's no guarantee yeah. that they would have got it on at all. I mean, there is no jumps racing in the United Kingdom until Thursday. Everything's been cancelled. And that's not certain to go ahead at, at Exeter. They but have you, to have an inspection setting, tomorrow. You're, you're setting a bad precedent then if you're doing that. If, you, if you're going to go down the road of we're not racing that day because there's better racing this day, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a dangerous precedent to be setting. Yeah, very much so. And the bigger farce was Newcastle. Who yes. in the name of God walks an all-weather track before racing? I'll tell you the only time I've seen that, and that was when Dundalk was in dire need of, of being redone. In late 2018, that track was toast. 
and it needed to be relayed, and it eventually was. Like Aidan O'Brien had stopped having runners there. Johnny Murta was very vocal on at the races with me, and on the last Irish broadcast for Sky uh, at Dundalk, he was furious at the state of that track. Damien English was was unhappy about it. Uh, the Lynhams weren't a bit happy about it, and you're seeing a similar thing with Kempton. Like we got Neil Callan on to talk about Kempton having to be with, to be cancelled due to hail. <laughs> an all-weather track that has to cancel because of heavy rain. And um, we thought he was going to go off on one because he'd had that really bad fall. No, he was annoyed about the fact that he'd driven two and a half hours with another jockey to get there, to be told, home you go, lads. This isn't this isn't going ahead. And we were talking about the expenses of like getting a horse there for a jockey and trainers and for owners. And was there anything going to be reimbursed? And there was no word on that. Then you've got Newcastle having to cancel not one, but two days... Because of cold, it like defeats the all-weather purpose, surely, Paddy Aspel. Yeah, I think whether they were just caught on the hop, Emmett, you know, because these tracks, if you work them constantly, you will you will win the battle. But you've you've literally not got to come off the track. You've got to keep it turning over continually. No, no, that's obviously a big ask, and. I know we had tra- there was several trainers piped up and said, "Oh well, we've got our canters fit this morning." I guarantee you, they won't have been taking any horses off the bridle up that canter. Yeah, or galloping. They won't have been galloping up that canter. I can assure you, they'll have been hack cantering. It will have been physical to get a horse on it. They won't have been having any races up and down it. That's for sure. And these race courses, if they wanted to run, um, you know, if we've still got minus two and three at eleven, twelve o'clock in the morning, the afternoon, that's still, you know, it's very, very difficult to, to try and outrace the frost. You've literally got to keep machinery on the surface constantly and keep it moving over. Newcastle is a two mile round circuit. So if they want to keep tractors and machinery on that and keep turning that over and try and stay ahead of the frost, I'd say it's a pretty stiff job. Oh, it has to be. It's got yeah, to be a, stiff a, job, a, yeah. a pretty stiff job, but a job that has to be done. And I think what mm. was extraordinary about it was there was no talk of any issue at Newcastle. Nobody was saying, oh, Newcastle's in jeopardy. And then suddenly it was gone. So, I mean, Barry was making the point about you can't just reschedule a race day because you have to take into consideration the corporate sponsors uh, and race scores who are going. You also have to take into account the broadcaster. Like ITV had their schedule set. I was like, all right, it's okay. We've still got Newcastle. We can bring you that. Uh-oh. Like they were screwed and they were set to mm-hmm. go to air so they had to do it. And uh, sometimes those shows, like Channel 4 used to do that. I remember there was a, a Channel 4, I think it was Cheltenham Trials Day and it ended up being one of the best Channel 4 racing broadcasts ever because it was just Tomo, um, McCrerick, Frankham, all sitting around, I think Ted Walsh was there as well, all sitting around in the Cheltenham bar, having a general conversation about the world of racing and putting the world to rights. And it was tremendous stuff. Like we've ended up talking for two hours here about one race card, but it was, it was enjoyable. Once you do those things, you can, you can make it work. But it's, it's a nightmare. And I wouldn't go so far as to say whoever this anonymous person in the Racing Post is today saying, this is the most upsetting thing I've seen in 50 years in the industry. Well, you've had a charmed life, if that's the most upsetting thing that you've seen uh, in the racing world. One race card being cancelled when it should go ahead. Um, things have been going okay for you, if that's the case. But it, it's, it's farcical that such a situation should arise in the first place, and it does need to be looked into. Um, 
we're going to have all-weather racing, supposedly, for the next few days. And, and then hopefully we'll have the long walk card at Ascot. But right now, it's in jeopardy too. Uh, so as things stand, yeah, we'll be here on Thursday. And look, if if there is no jumps racing to talk about, we'll switch to the we'll switch to the sand uh, and have a bit of fun dock action for you on Thursday instead. That'll be a bit of crack. Um, so more Final Forum Podcast content coming on the way for you. Uh, both of the boys are going to be back before Christmas. Barry, you're on next Monday. And uh, Paddy, you're on one of the previews for the Christmas period as well, which we're looking forward to, to getting your insight on that too. So looking forward to having you both on again very, very soon. That's Great stuff. Thanks a million, Emmett. Look forward to it. And looking forward to talking to you as well. We'll have the Christmas quiz that's coming, uh, Christmas previews. Barry will be here, Paddy, Dennis O'Regan, Mark Milligan, obviously, Darren McGraw. We're going to be bringing out the big guns and hopefully get loads of festive gravy. Uh, please God, that we'll actually be racing on. We're back on Thursday. Bloodstock special to come to. Be safe, be well. Talk to you soon. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by BetDAC. Get 0% commission on all sports for 100 days when you join BetDAC.com. New customers only. Terms and conditions apply. And by All About Sunday. The ownership experience where you can own three racehorses for only £18.99 per month. Visit AllAboutSunday.com to get involved today.